myself in the evening breeze Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees Send me off forever, but I ask you please Don't fence me Well, good morning this morning, everybody. Good morning and happy Wednesday to everybody. And today we have a special musical treat for you. My buddy John Powell Walsh is going to come in at just about 8 o'clock. And they've got a new, he and Scott Kennebec, as you guys have known, he's been on the air with us before. He and Scott Kennebec have a new album out. It's a it's a new Christmas album. It's kind of one of these uh, beautiful kind of choral albums. And I have him in and had him had them in like every every year, every every time around Christmas. Sometimes they even come around uh, the uh, around St. Patrick's Day and that kind of thing. And uh, we have them on, and they come in, and they're jolly men, very festive individuals. So they're going to be in about eight o'clock or so. And then Jim Carafano or Jim Jim Hoff are going to be with us in about uh, oh, in 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 the seven. What was that? Gee whiz! In about in the seven in the seven o'clock category, and then we're going to do. Uh, we're going to have a little fun with those guys as well. So I'm reading about this. Uh, well, first of all, we have a couple of cases now where, you know how it, it seems like Democrats, when they're at least even in the lo- in the local end, 
it seems like Democrats like to start conversations. They like to throw out these really whacked out, wacky ass things, these, these, these proposals, and then just claim that they're just starting conversations. Have you heard that before? Oh, well, this is just to start the conversation. It's like, well, you know what? Let's end the conversation right here. But we've got a couple cases now, and it's usually the local Democrats. Stacey Abrams there in Georgia, as you remember, was pressed by Jake Tapper about her proposal because she was, like, whacked out and uh, and her crazy gun proposals. Now apparently Stacey Abrams thinks that she's going to become uh, the next president of the United States because there are rumblings that she might run for president. So it's amazing these people, they lose these major races, and they then determine that the best way to go is to then say, oh, I know, since I lost this Senate seat or I lost this governor's race, I'll be president. How does that sound? I mean – it's happened before. It's not out of the ordinary, but uh, that's uh, just amazing to me and funny all at the same time. So good morning. Today is the uh, official state holiday. So we've got the official well, not, well holiday. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean holiday. I meant day of mourning. There's a big difference, okay, between holiday and state of mourning. What I mean is that the federal employees are off today. It's uh, and I and I believe banks are closed as well and everything else. So I th- I think that the uh, it's it's kind of like the opposite of a holiday though. It's a it's a day of mourning. So I had a fifty fifty chance of getting that one right. By the way, people. So uh, you know, uh, leave me alone. Be be nice to me. I I could have yeah. So yes, today's the official funeral for. Um, for H.W. Uh, Bush, and so it's going to be a somber affair. And I'll tell you what, uh, even though people are trolling President Trump uh, uh, endlessly throughout this entire saga, and in fact, it, uh, oddly enough, the biggest fight over the attacks on President Trump actually were from involved Megan McCain, of all people, because... You know, normally, you know, the McCain's had this horrific funeral where it was just a Trump bash fest. And Megan McCain was one of the first individuals out of the blocks to uh, to attack the the president during her own father's funeral, which was so kind of vile and unbecoming and, and just uh, really just. D- disappointing and and other people did it too at the funeral and so it was really a de- debacle and it was you know kind of embarrassing to, to to say the least well the Megan McCain of all people wound up being the one to tell Joy Behar to kind of shut her trap now Joy Behar called her an entitled B and once off the show and I don't know whether all this is just kind of like uh I don't. I don't, I can't tell whether this is somewhat of a stunt or what the deal deal is. But uh, yeah, and, and the, the the and the market's closed too, as Mama Kay's pointing out. Uh, there's no trading, so it's it's probably kind of a good thing, at least, to let the market settle for a little while. Because yesterday it kind of uh, went a little nuts. So we nobody knows why, but it's. Going kind of crazy. I don't know whether you guys noticed that or not. Because so it might be good. And so the banks are closed as well, and 
it will be uh, an official day of mourning. I noticed a lot of people uh, with their uh, flags at half half mast, and it's interesting to see that. Um, and yeah, the Trumps have I thought handled this very well. Uh, they they have been criticized, but they went in and said, you know, the, you know, even though President Trump was accused of you know tweeting and being a normal person during the last four days of the casket moving moving and all that kind of stuff as if Trump needed to like to shut up about everything as long as George Bush's body was still floating around it's like no that's not going to be the case but of course he did also though uh handle the the entire process very well as 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 I didn't I didn't expect him not to the bushes meanwhile made it very clear that they do not want this to be a political funeral that they they they've made it abundantly clear to everybody that they are we are to stay away from politics and stay away from any you know Trump basher it wasn't going to be a repeat of the McCain funeral and of course it's typically dignified uh of HW and you know for that matter the Bush family i mean uh Jeb Bush is probably the the worst of the of the lot there uh, in the Bush family, because he just doesn't—he doesn't seem to be the the one of the, he didn't necessarily get the the cream of the crop and the genes in that family. But uh, but he was a good governor, and and I'm sure he's a good guy. But but he seems to be the one that has the most angst towards uh, President Trump. But but, but uh, George W. might as well. But who knows? I mean, this is a funeral. For the 41st president of the United States, for H.W. Bush, and a war hero, and a statesman, and a good guy. He had policy issues with him, as a lot of people do, and I did too. But the bottom line is he was the 41st president of the United States. And so respect is to be given, respect earned, and respect will be the word of the day when it comes to the funeral. As the Bushes said, no politics Thank you very much. So the one person who actually did wind up making a strong defense of this idea of to stop using the Bush death as a battering point for President Trump was none other than Megan McCain. So she's on The View and they get they get into it. And Joy Behar, of course, is threatened to quit. And, And Joy, as you know, you know, was the one who was the recipient of choice words from Kid Rock when he was talking about her on Fox and French. Remember that? And everybody was – and he was, of course, removed from uh, any ability to be the grand marshal of the holiday parade. So because he called Joy Behar a B, it's like, um, I get it, but it's not like he called Melania – a B. You called Joy Behar a B. Since when is Nashville covetous? What is she there? Like their their uh, their their queen sister there in Nashville. I don't I don't think Joy Behar has has even been been to Nashville for crying out loud. So anyway, they th- thought it was conduct unbecoming of a holiday parade chairman. I guess you know. I guess it is to a certain degree. But you know, keep in mind, people. He's Kid Rock. You asked Kid Rock to be the 
Grand Marshal of the Nashville Holiday Parade. What what are, what are you expecting from the guy? He's kind of like the the white Snoop Dogg. You know what I'm saying? And and uh, I love the guy. So, but but I'm just saying, you know, he's not exactly going to be Pope Francis leading the Christmas parade. So you kind of get what you pay for when you get Kid Rock in there. Love the guy, but you know he he's going to have a whiskey in the morning and. And and be on Fox and Friends, and you're not you're not going to know what's going to come out of his mouth. So anyway, Behar and McCain get into it on the View, and here's here's the sound clip, and, and they and they and and they really did. Behar was kind of over the top, and and it was interesting to see. And that's part of their job. Yeah. But, but he he had such a respect for what they did, yes, and the role that they play. So I think there's so much to learn. From his life, and I hope that the next generation, they may not know him the way that we do, well, the way we well, remember him, but I hope they learn from him. I want to say one thing about him that was not picked up, really, because as a candidate, he said... Those- By the way, this is Joy Behar also, like, reading from a card. She's, like, dumb as a bag of hair. I mean, there's nothing about her when you look at her that that insinuates or conveys in any form any form of real intelligence like this woman only only reads when <clears throat> there's a card in front of her to tell her what to say and so she's got this thing in there and she doesn't she she there's no way she knew this even before this show or or, or even 5 minutes before she said it i mean it's it's just it's so unbelievable, but uh, here she is going. Here she is with her uh, astute observation about H.W. Uh, Bush. Here you go. Yeah. Candidate, he said, those who think we're powerless to do anything about the greenhouse effect are forgetting about the White House effect. And then he signed into law the Clean Air Act Amendment of 1990, one of the most sweeping environmental yeah. statutes. He signed into law one of these sweeping amendments. It's like, come on. You sound like a dope, and, 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 and you know you don't even know what you're talking about. You wouldn't even – he signed into law, a sweeping – let me see what it says here. I'm sweeping amendments. It's like, come on. Anyway, she decides she's going to kind of use this to uh, attack President Trump. Environmental yeah. statutes ever. Yeah. This president that we have now is trying to unravel everything that he did and Obama did. And if I ever become a one-issue voter, it will be about – Pollution and the greenhouse effect, and, and can the we fact focus that, on the president, yeah. please? I, I, just, I don't want to talk about Trump. Well, I do for a moment. So, of, we're honoring a great uh, president. Excuse me a second, please. I, I want to talk about. But we're just honoring, but I'm not interested in your one issue. I don't care what you're interested in. I'm talking. I don't care what you're interested in. We'll be right back. Later, Christmas controversy. A radio station just. I don't know whether that was a setup or or what that was. But first of all, uh, it just proves that The View is quite possibly the worst show on earth. As right when things actually get moderately interesting, they decide to take a break. That tells you everything you need to know about how smart these people are uh, at The View. Uh, is that It's called The View, right? And everybody kind of stands up for their views on The View. And people are going to argue on The View. So why is it that the minute they start arguing, The View takes a break? That's pretty stupid. And it's not great TV. And, uh, of course, all these people, we finally actually got a glimpse of the audience. And 
it's uh and a holiday classic from their playlist. <laughs> is there a tone deaf song in the Let's put it this way, era? it's not very diverse. Uh shape, size, and race. So I'm just telling you. But 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 that's the view is things get finally finally there's actually something interesting on the view. And it's Behar and McCain going at it, and they decide that they are uh uh, going to cut the show off at that point. <laughs> I like to see. I like to see them. Actually, I like to see them fight. Tell you the truth, I'm just nice little. That we have now is trying to unravel everything that he did and Obama did. And if I ever become a one issue voter, I like it- that they're fighting too, and and it's behind. Uh, it's against the backdrop of like these falling snowflakes and Christmas ornaments and stuff. They're all battling. It's kind of like when the when the news people. Pretty much local news. All they cover are homicides and fires and stuff for the most part. Not not all the time, but uh, some you know some people do some good work. Uh, Channel Five does some good work over there uh, lately. But when they have the poinsettias all over the set, and and there and and every story is about somebody being found in the trunk of a car or something, you know. Merry Christmas. Meanwhile, in North Salem, it's like oh Lord. Be about pollution and the greenhouse effect, and, and can the we fact focus that- on the president, yeah. please? I, I, just, I don't want to talk about Trump. Well, I, I mean, you have to admit, though, it, it it was kind of. I mean, Meghan McCain did interrupt her, so I could see how it it could be a little bit creating kind of an edge there because Megan McCain did kind of stop her in her tracks, but she only did what Joy Behar normally does, which is stop people in their tracks as well and interrupts them. So I guess that's kind of the way that the view is supposed to be people kind of getting in and having a conversation. So, uh, but, but still, you know, I'm, I'm not defending Joy Behar by any stretch, but Megan McCain of all people, the one standing up for not politicizing the death of someone. Huh. Please, I, I, just, I don't want to talk about Trump. Well, I do for a second, so of, We're honoring a great uh, president in the past. I, I want to talk about but the we're different... Honoring, but I'm not interested in your one issue. I don't care what, what you're interested in. I'm talking. Well, I don't care you what you're what? interested in. We'll He'll be right back. Why would you end things at that point? It's just beginning. Whoopi? Who's the Who's producing this show? It's just beginning. And plus, it's funny because then they go to the wide shot where they're fighting. And it's, it's like it's like a Christmas wonderland. What time is the view on anyway? Christmas controversy. A radio station. What channel is it on? Band a holiday classic from their playlist. <laughs> is it a tone deaf song in the Me Too era? Is it a tone deaf song in the Me Too era? So, yeah, that's uh, – but nonetheless, uh, good for Megan McCain to – I think maybe she has uh, finally kind of uh, seen the light after her dad's funeral was ruined uh, by her and uh, and the rest of the people politicizing the funeral. So maybe she's, uh, she's learned a lesson, uh, maybe not. One of the stories this morning also that is catching my eye, and I don't know whether you guys have, have found it either. And by the way, when I said that, I was glad the stock market uh, might might be good that the market is closed today because um, there were some signs that you know the, the, the Dow tumbled 800 points. And there are some 
I guess, some worries or doubts over the uh, U.S.-China trade truce and, and, and how that's going to affect in any way, shape, or form the, uh, the economy down the line. And what happened was is uh, – and, and, and I'll read from, from the recitation of the Wall Street Journal here – And they said investors broadly retreated from stocks with industrial stalwarts, including Boeing and Caterpillar, suffering big losses. So if you're a Boeing stockholder, you got to kind of wait a little while. Uh, And it's the worst session since October 10th. Apple and other tech companies uh, also slid down the pike there. And there was also more of a correction on on the part of other, other, uh, other stocks. They said that uh, waning enthusiasms for the 90-day tariff ceasefire struck over the weekend by China and the U.S. fueled the losses. Isn't that interesting, though? Because you think, and this is one of the things that 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 really uh, happens a lot, and that the the stock market doesn't doesn't necessarily like things that are good for you and me. And and that's one thing that I've learned over time is that the stock market doesn't like peace, it seems, sometimes when it comes to the economy or trade and those kinds of things. And so here you have China and the U.S. deciding they're going to strike a deal. China is going to be held to account for some of its currency manipulation and all that kind of stuff. And it seems like there is peace in the land in terms of this economic war that's going on between China and 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 the U.S. And everybody seems to be happy except the stock market. So I'm not I'm not saying that's a bad thing. The stock market is what it is, but there are still concerns. It's like they 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 They, 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 here we have a ceasefire, and everybody remains worried about the disagreements between China and the U.S. You, I mean, you'd think they would be happy about this, but you know, who knows? People are taking equity off the table, and it's accelerating. That's probably wise uh, where we are of the cycle. Uh, Many investors are shying away from risk due to building fears of an economic showdown or worse, a recession. More investors, including those at Guidestone and other money management firms, are paring back stock holdings and moving money into bonds or cash to better preserve capital. That's actually a uh, thing that, that, that my guy does at 360IRA.com, Jeremy North. I'm not using that. This is a commercial. Jeremy's going to ultimately be a an advertiser here uh, for Radio Free Almond when we get into the f- official uh, bump up of Radio Free Almond 2.0. But I've got a mechanism in uh, built into my investments where uh, the but you know mutual funds and 401ks, IRAs, that kind of stuff, where the investments turn into cash. 
when you have a dip like that, which is not a, not a bad thing. Across Wall Street, uh, it's 360IRA.com, by the way, if you want to check out Jeremy North, who's my uh, financial guy. Uh, across Wall Street, money managers were similarly trying to make sense of the latest market lurches and decide whether the nine-year-old bull market is at an inflection point. I don't know what that means. I, I oftentimes, you know, look at stories like this and I, I can't pretend to tell you that I know uh, anything about what an inflection point is. It took me a long time to figure out, okay, so what's a bear market? What's a bull market? And, uh, you know. There's an asset manager, Crossmark Global Investments, for example. Uh, they convened a meeting on Tuesday to consider whether the sell-off across everything from high-flying tech shares to industrial giants offered buying opportunities. And that's usually what happens. And so what they're going to do is they're going to wait because today the market is – Closed, obviously, and and again, that might be a good thing to give it a little bit of a rest, and then they're going to come back on Thursday and figure out whether or not they're uh, they're going to, uh, to to start buying. But oddly enough, because it is a national day of mourning, uh, the hiatus could stoke further anxiety among investors, according to Wall Street Journal, who will have time to consider several economic warning signals that precipitated this sell-off. So. You never know. This rest period might give some investors a chance to kind of stew over the thing. And then, of course, it only becomes worse when they start to to uh, to freak out as they start to think about it. So we'll uh, we'll follow up on that and see what's uh, going on. And, you know, just keep in mind, if you have a 401k or a mutual fund, for a lot of you, it doesn't really make a difference because – you know you're not you're in it for the long run and and uh, maybe you lost a little bit now but it's not necessarily going to not um not go away permanently that's kind of the way the stock market is but that's what's going on with 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 that so we will also be focusing by the way on well on this parkland shooting story i don't know whether you have been paying attention to the broward county this investigation into the run-up to the Parkland shooting, but boy, is it unbelievable. So we'll follow up on that. We'll tell you what's going on, by the way, as a follow-up in France. And we've got more of these gun grabbers at the local level who, again, are trying to utilize their anti-gun motions to so-called start a conversation. We've heard that before, so we'll follow up uh, on, on that as well. And just in time, remember yesterday when we were talking about Bill Crystal and A.B. Stoddard and the rest of the gang at the Weekly Standard? Well, there's a strong possibility the Weekly Standard may not be in existence anymore. Now, I don't wish anybody demise by any stretch of the imagination, but I'll tell you what, it couldn't happen to a... Uh, a worse group of people than the Weekly Standard to have their publication and their outfit go south. They're the Never Trump outfit, and they gambled and lost on their Never Trumpism. And so it turns out the Weekly Standard may be no more, which means 
we might hear less from Bill Crystal and A.B. Stoddard, or they'll just kind of go somewhere else and be defined as something else. Who knows? But just so happens after yesterday when I told you how horrible a performance it was on the part of Bill Crystal and A.B. Stoddard there on MSNBC that the publication they represent is quite possibly going into the toilet, so to speak. All right. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem. What would you do with the money if you didn't have to pay your house payment for two months, especially around the holidays? That's right. No house payment for two months. This is James Hawkins at Golden Oak Lending. Don't let money problems spoil your holidays. You can use the increased value of your home to pay off bills or get cash out. Put two months of house payments in your pocket. Visit GoldenOakLending.com or call 314-567-GOLD. NMLS 114937, 111 West Fort Plaza, St. Louis, Missouri. Call 567-GOLD. Live from the Discovery Design Truck Care and Manufacturing Studios. Yes, everybody, it's Radio Free Almond. DDTruckUSA.com. For all of your truck care, hauling, manufacturing needs, they get it all together for you at Discovery Design Truck Care and Manufacturing. Thank you, Rick Pogue and Jerry Pogue, for your support of Radio Free Almond. Love you guys. And thank you for the studio as well. Good morning this morning. Uh, special musical treat for you a little later on. Although we are looking for... we, we It's weird because John Powell Walsh and those guys, they, 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 their music is on a CD, and yet, lo and behold... Even a place where there is, it's a music studio, we don't have a CD player, which gives you an indication that not many people utilize CDs. So I'm going to see if uh, we've got a, uh, we're going to have to figure out whether or not, uh, 
they can help me out with uh, the seed. I'm going to text John. Well, are, are we are we optimistic about securing? Oh, we are. Okay. So we're going to figure it out. Okay, that's good. I I uh, I don't know. Do you all still have CD players? I have one, but I, I have actually a CD player in the Jeep. So I, I you know. But I, I don't play CDs. Everything is so electronical. It's so advanced. We don't have one. Morgan's to the rescue, huh? Okay. Yeah, I, I, we don't have. I mean, you know, and and it just. But see, even even at a music studio, it's not. It's not like it's unusual. They would not have a CD player. They just don't. You wouldn't. The technology here is so far advanced. You're, they're not doing anything on a, on a CD player, <laughs> or you know, it's all it's all, all digital. You know, it's everything is just kind of like you know on a little tiny little bit player. I don't know. I don't even I say bit player. I have no idea. Scotty, you still have an eight track player, huh? That's pretty cool. I remember the eight tracks, man. That was, a, that, was a, that was a groovy little piece of technology. It was the 8-track player. Although you always had to have one. They came. I don't remember an 8-track player coming with the car. You always had to get one and, and put it in, right? They didn't have 8-track players in the cars. I didn't think they did. They had cassette players in the cars. Actually, cassettes I hear are kind of making a comeback. Like there are some bands uh, that are like it's cheaper to go ahead and make like a hundred cassettes than it is anything else to just pass out the cassettes. I don't know, but apparently that's kind of making a comeback. But you have to have a uh, a cassette player. It's got a yeah. I have a reel to reel at home too. That's that's cool. My dad, I'll never forget this. And I, I love this. Uh, my dad was a uh, was kind of a tech geek, so to speak, and loved cars at the same time. And so we had a 69 Olds convertible that was this big-ass tank. It was an Oldsmobile 98. Remember those? Man, those were great. This thing, this Oldsmobile 98, 1969, was a beast I'd give anything to have that car back again, but man, you'd you'd drive on the on the roads, and it would be like you were floating. It would like be this like whoa, you were like on a, it was like a, a a boat on a road, and the, the front end of that thing was just uh, unbelievable. You could see it for miles. It was ahead of you. It was like this big square of steel. And this Oldsmobile 98 was awesome. 1969 Oldsmobile 98. And he, it, it was the first car that had a thing called a Wonder Bar. And the Wonder Bar was a automatic where you push a button and the little orange dial would move down the radio dial. 
by itself. You wouldn't have to turn it, and that was the cool thing because, I mean, 1969, you're pushing a button, and, it, and, and, the, and you're able to tune the station that way with the Wonder Bar tuned into a station. That was pretty groovy back then. I mean, to have something that was, uh, you know, automatic as opposed to manual in that sense was uh, pretty amazing. But that's what they did. The, the, the Wonder Bar moved that little orange line down the, down the radio, and we thought that was the coolest thing. That was on top of the, uh, the channel switcher. Now, back in the day, uh, and my dad had, had one of the first electronic channel changers, to where you didn't have to get up and you could change the channel that way. But back in those days, though, the, we, the, the channel changer, all it did was automatically move the manual uh, channel changer. You know what I mean? So, so you'd push the button on the thing, and it would be like boom, 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 boom. You know, make these noises. Like, it was like really loud, and it would, it would turn the channel automatically. It wasn't you know digital by any stretch. So it was just back in those days – it was between manual. I was between the digital age, and, and that had not come yet. But the automatic age had come, so you you had to. The automatic part was just simply moving the manual part. You know what I'm saying? That's doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the but uh, as uh, moving the manual part automatically was as automatic as it got. There was no digital movement of the radio dial, no digital movement of the TV. It was all just, you just had to just have a mechanism by which it turned by itself. That was, that was pretty much it. It's almost like, it's almost almost like the automatic window, uh, slightly like that, but, but, but nonetheless, that was, um, Really cool. Imagine when they had, when they came up with automatic windows. People must have been like grooved out by that. That must have been so swanky to have the first automatic window. That must have mesmerized people. I wonder if uh, I wonder what car had the first automatic window. <laughs> Daniel Burrow with U two hype automatic for the people. I remember that automatic for the people. Hang on a second. Let me find that for you, Danny. I don't know why. Uh, is that, oh, that's REM, isn't it? Matic for the people. Yeah, it is REM. Yeah, automatic for the people. That's, I think they have uh, the um, man on the moon was from that. And it just so happens the man on the moon came in 1969. Yeah. By the way, Dan's going to come in tomorrow. He's actually going to sing for us. He is uh, Bono. In U2 Hype. And R.E.M. has a a band as well. And they're going to be with U2 Hype. Tribute bands. That's what I'm looking for. Matt's giving us an update on, uh, according to Google, Packard introduced the first power windows in the 1940 Packard. Boy, that must have been crazy. That Packard was a beast, too. It just sounds like one. Hydroelectric system. Huh. Only the limousine and seven passenger sedans. Oh, well. Crazy. Love that, though. Yeah, Daniel's going to come in, and he's going to, he, uh... 
Well, I'm playing U2. Well, see, you guys keep wanting me to play U2, but why am I going to play U2 before the U2 hype band is here? I mean, tomorrow it's going to be all U2. I might even play some U2 two Christmas songs for you guys. You know what I'm saying? I might even do that for you. All right, so I am uh, focusing on this story, and, and you guys, this is amazing what's been going on, and, and it's not getting really a whole lot of coverage when it comes to the Parkland shootings. And it's not going to get a whole lot of coverage because the news media and everybody else really still wants you to believe that the only thing responsible for the Parkland high school shooting uh, is a gun. I mean, they're not, they're not even at this point, even blaming the shooter. MJ Birch is listening in Virginia. Good morning, MJ in beautiful Virginia. What city in Virginia, by the way? Yeah. Uh, B&L have the, have the best Christmas songs. I don't know who B&L is. I know it's not Bachman Turner Overdrive because there's no T and there's no O in that. So the B, the N, and the L, it's probably something really obvious. I'm just not getting it, Linda. So anyway. So everybody wants you to believe, and the, and the news media wants you to believe, that the only thing responsible, oh, bare naked ladies. Yeah, they do. I like the bare naked ladies. They're good. They've always been, they're always kind of a happy band and a uh, kind of a fun, jumpy band, you know? I like, I like bare naked ladies. I have, I have, I think, a Christmas uh, tune from bare naked ladies. You guys always distract me. So you get me going on stuff. And I bet you I have, let me see if I can find, uh, I think I have, uh, Comes a time for Christmas. No, that's a uh, blues traveler. I don't know who. Uh, see if I have any of them anywhere. Bare naked ladies. I mean, I, I put it in my library thing, but it's not showing up here. Hold on. Just let me just just give me a chance here. Give me a chance. because uh, now I'm. That's me going from a school shooting to looking for bare naked ladies music. Who says that you do not have? I don't have them. I guess, huh? Thought I had them, but see, that's how that's how you can. That's how you guys can. Uh, that's how you guys know me. You know, you can distract me. I'm 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 about to tell you all about the run up to a school shooting, and I'm looking for Christmas music right now from bare naked ladies. Oh, here's I actually have I actually it turns out I actually have a Hanukkah song from bare naked ladies. So, uh, two of them, as a matter of fact. Is it Hanukkah yet? Hanukkah, oh Hanukkah, come I the menorah. Let's have a party, we'll all dance the horror. Gather around the table, we'll give you a treat. Sip all the nymphs to play with that lot just to eat. And while we... How do I have a Bare Naked Ladies Hanukkah song? Well, happy Hanukkah, everybody. Thank you, Ashley. Hi, Ashley, by the way. Haven't talked to you in a long time. Come on, people. That was God right there, though, by the way. That was God 
slipping in a little reminder about Hanukkah as we were looking for Christmas music. He's like, um, just want to let you know Hanukkah started. I'm like, oh. It's bare naked ladies. And there's another one. I, have two, I don't have only one. I have two Hanukkah songs. From Bare Naked Ladies. This is actually a good song. Although the day is done. What a miracle that a spark lifts these candles out of the dark. Every evening, one by one. Drink your gin and tonica. It's Hanukkah. It's a nice song. Anyway, as we get into it, I will do the uh, more of the bare naked ladies Christmas stuff. There you go. See, I don't disappoint you. I'll come up with something. If you name something, I can bring it up. That just so happens in searching for a bare naked ladies Christmas song, I come up with. Hanukkah songs from Bare Naked Ladies, just for you. All right, so you guys have uh, distracted me enough. Kathleen's like, I want to hear about the shooting. I'm like, okay. Yeah, because that th- this is an important uh, this is an important story. It's not going to be covered at all uh, by the by the mainstream media because they still want to believe. See, what happens is they they freak out. They do all the stuff about guns, which, by the way. Anything happen with the guns? It wasn't even a discussion in the midterms. Like David Hogg and his crew weren't even. I, I haven't heard hide nor hair of these guys. Where'd they go? Where'd this movement go? I thought they were going to change the world and do whatever. And of course, I'm not. I, I, I more power to them for being young people involved in the political process. But where did they go? Or did they outlive their usefulness for the adult liberals who were kind of moving them around and paying for their trips and their freight and everything else? I don't know where they all went to. But nonetheless, this story has gone the way of them, I guess, because nobody's focusing on it anymore. Everybody is firmly establishing and acting as if this was all just, oh, yeah, it was guns. That's it. Guns are the problem. And let's move on. But at the Sun Sentinel, thank goodness for the Sun Sentinel, they decided, um, hang on a second. We're gonna we're gonna kind of look into the Broward County School District and find out really what happened in the run up to this. And they came up with a piece that was really a very interesting one. The headline is, Hide, Deny, Spin, Threaten. How the school district tried to mask failures that led to Parkland shooting. That is the, uh, that, that's actually the, the that, that, that's the headline on the story. And the Sun Sentinel is saying that right after the shooting, right after the shooting, the school district launched a persistent effort to keep people from finding out what went wrong. But the Sun Sentinel now has information and uncovered information that proves 
that the school district knew far more than it's saying about a disturbed former student who wound up killing 17 students and teachers on Valentine's Day. So what they're saying is that they they knew Nicholas Cruz was dangerous. And I'm just going to read a little bit out of this and uh, of this piece and let you guys kind of take it in. I mean, the, the police had their own issues, but the school district itself, and, and by the way, the Broward County School District was one of the first school districts in the nation that adopted this program. People kind of actually blame this on Obama, even though it wasn't necessarily Obama's policy to begin with. Actually, it was a policy that was created by the Broward County School District and then adopted by the Obama administration as more of a federalized way of dealing with certain situations. And that is they would purposely kind of play down troubled students or students who were failing out or that kind of thing uh, in order to kind of uh, secure uh, their funding and everything else. And they were trying to keep the numbers down as it relates to uh, problems at the school. And they artificially kind of kept that information under wraps. It was, it, but, but the problem is that they thought that they were doing a good thing because they were trying to help the schools and also help students along, and they didn't want to kick people out. They didn't want to do this, didn't want to do that. But it was kind of confusing. Right afterwards, there were people who insinuated that this whole cover-up in the Broward County that was institutionalized was actually an Obama thing. It wasn't. The, the Obama administration adopted the Broward County model, but I'll get into that in a second. Uh, And here's what the story says. For months, Broward schools delayed or withheld records, refused to publicly assess the role of employees, spread misinformation, and even sought to jail reporters who published the truth. New information gathered by the Sentinel proves that the school district knew far more than it's saying about Nicholas Cruz. After promising an honest assessment of what led to the shooting, the district instead hired a consultant whose primary goal was preparing a legal defense. Then the district kept most of those findings from the public. The district also spent untold amounts untold amounts on lawyers to fight the release of records and nearly $200,000 to pay public relations consultants who advised the administrators to clam up. School administrators insist that they have been as transparent as possible. That's interesting. The the public relations consultants who advised the administrators to clam up, were they also working for Entercom? Because that was the same policy that Entercom undertook during this whole tweet ridiculousness. Didn't didn't want to say anything. I don't know whether that was uh, their purpose, which was simply to keep it quiet so they could ultimately get rid of me and and a, and a big salary, or or what the situation was. But either way, Entercom mishandled this whole tweet thing, and then when they mishandled it, they decided they were going to cower and bow and 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 surrender to the left wing mob, 
What a horrible company Intercom is. Anyway, school administrators insist that they've been as transparent as possible, that federal privacy laws prevent them from revealing the school record of gunman Nicholas Cruz, that discussing security in detail would make schools more dangerous, and that answers ultimately will come when a state commission releases its findings about the shooting around New Year's Day. That, that, that's, what they, that's their claim. They're like, well, no, if we release this information and it will about how our security, it will endanger school students and everything else and we'll be revealing too much, which is, I guess, in some ways on its face sounds like it makes sense because you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, necessarily imperil anybody for that matter by releasing, you know, state secrets, so to speak. But nonetheless, it sounds like it was really used as a cover. And Janet, you're right. It, the, the Obama administration adopted They They were definitely okay with it. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. I'm just saying that it was, I think there were people who thought that the Broward County model was created by the Obama administration. It really wasn't. It was almost the opposite. Anyway, uh, beyond that, the cloak of secrecy illustrates the steps that this school district will take to manage and hide information in a crisis when reputations, careers, and legal liability are at stake. Oh, and pensions, right? Retirement. Nine months after the Parkland shooting, few people have been held accountable or even identified for mishandling security and failing to react to signs that the troubled crews could erupt. Only two low-level security monitors have been fired. Three assistant principals and a security specialist were finally transferred out of Stoneman Douglas this week after the state commission revealed some information, but the district refused to say exactly what the employees did wrong. They promised openness from the beginning, but reporters and the families of the dead children have been denied information time and time again. In May, the superintendent said, we want to be as transparent as possible. Uh, and, and he called for an independent, comprehensive assessment that would be done. Uh, they didn't take any bids on interviewing the consultants and they let this outside law firm hire a group called the collaborative educational network of Tallahassee. And and actually they'd worked with the Broward schools before. And they spent several months uh, analyzing one issue, whether Broward schools satisfied the law in the education of Nicholas Cruz or whether areas of concern should be addressed. They made no attempt to assess whether they protected students or failed to act on Cruz's very, very common and open spoken plans for violence. So what they really were looking at was, well, did we do the right thing as it relates to his education? But they never really focused on whether they did the right thing as it relates to protecting other students from him.
the report was released ultimately by by these in, individuals. And the Sun Sentinel obtained and published an uncensored copy of this report and, and because they censored the report or, or kept it kept it at bay. And Cruz was deeply troubled. The district improperly withdrew the support he needed. He asked for additional services, and the district bundle, bungled his request, leaving him spinning without help. And we kind of knew that a while back. There were reports of that, but it wasn't really on paper. And, and but there were reports that Nicholas Cruz himself, as 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 sick as he was, and as mired in uh, depression and in violent thoughts as he was, asked actually for help from them. They asked. He asked to be put in a special program, and they and they and they messed it up. And it, and it turns out that the school district in Broward County was well aware, in fact, for years, that Nicholas Cruz was unstable and possibly murderous. In middle school, the report says Nicholas Cruz said to a teacher in middle school. So Cruz is 20 years old, but in middle school, he told a teacher, I'm a bad kid. I want to kill. Cruz's eighth grade language arts teacher wrote up a behavioral evaluation of Nicholas Cruz and said, I strongly feel that Nicholas is a danger to the students and faculty at this school. This is his eighth grade language arts teacher. He says, I do not feel that he understands the difference between his violent video games and reality. This is, this is his eighth grade teacher, right? And this is after, even in middle school, uh, he, he's telling his teacher, one teacher, that he wants to kill. In middle school, uh, he stated he felt nervous about one day going to jail and wondered what would happen to him if he did something bad. Four and a half years before the actual Parkland rampage, Cruz told one teacher, this is in October of 2013, that, quote, I would rather be on the street killing animals and setting fires. The same year his eighth grade class was discussing the Civil War, he became obsessed with the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, and he asked openly what it sounded like when Lincoln was shot. So did, did it go pop, 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 pop really fast? Was there blood everywhere? That was the question that eighth grader Nicholas Cruz was asking. And again, that's not necessarily a sign that he's going to go on a shooting rampage in his school. But it's, it's a, it, But when you couple it with all the other things, it becomes kind of a thing. One uh, girl's mother where at West Glades Middle School where Nicholas Cruz was in attendance, one girl's mother called to have her transferred out of Cruz's class. 
Okay, this is in middle school, people. Nicholas Cruz is is 20 and still floating around after the school dropped the ball after he actually asked for help. So it got to the point where even one mom wanted her kid out of his class because she was concerned uh, for her child's safety. The mother called Cruz a menace to society. So in short, according to the Sun Sentinel here, the school district's own records reveal Nicholas Cruz to be a tortured teen liable to explode any time. Yet, yet the analysis the district commissioned to help the community understand makes no mention of these episodes. So they came out with this report that, but all that I just told you was censored in the report. Ryan Petty, his 14-year-old daughter Elena was murdered at the school, uh, was angered that the report all but absolved the school district of responsibility, which is basically what they did. The report only assessed whether or not it lawfully met the needs of Nicholas Cruz. The school district also uh, continued its effort to, to formally lock down information right after the shooting. Uh, there were there were people who received some letters for mis of reprimand for mishandling crews. For, I'm sorry, not for mishandling crews, but for trying to get a hold of his private records. So there were teachers who were punished for trying to find out more about the uh, the career, so to speak, of Nicholas Cruz. And yet, Terrell, that's true they, that they they don't want to get sued by the parents. So, of course, they're not going to they're not going to do that. But it looks to me like they're suable. I'm not a, I'm not a sue happy person by any stretch of the imagination in terms of, you know, listen, Nicholas Cruz was insane. I'm sure that there were a lot of times when people just thought he was just a crazy kid. I mean, you know, that, that's not beyond the realm of comprehension, but his pattern was enough especially on record, his pattern was enough that it, it should have raised some pretty serious red flags. Officials refused at times to respond to even simple questions from reporters. In mid-March, uh, a spokesman for the school declined to explain why Cruz was banned from carrying a backpack at school. Like that, like that was already public information. But okay, you've got a kid here who's coming to school, but he's not allowed to carry a backpack at school. Like they, like they, they clearly didn't trust him enough to to carry a backpack at school, but they allowed him at school. So they they knew something was up. I mean, it's not every day that you have a have a kid who's banned from bringing a backpack to school. Uh, they even they even declined to confirm simple stuff like uh, that. Cruz was in the junior ROTC military program, and everybody kind of knew it was, but they refused to confirm that. 
they they wanted to wait until they had all the facts. They said uh, they they didn't want to release a presentation by uh, the internal security expert Al Butler because it supposedly contained security secrets. At one point, the district said it would cost $2,600 for reporters to see copies of letters that teachers and staff sent to school board members after the shooting. So they, had, they, were, they were trying to you know, paper these, these reporters to death. Now, keep in mind, the security issue is a dicey one. Uh, there clearly are situations where you don't want to release certain security information because – you don't want to further jeopardize uh, individuals, but keep in mind too that you have to be able to adequately float that tension because you do have people who are entrusting you with the care of their children. The, the, their their children are at the school, and so you kind of have an obligation to at least prove to the the parents that you are protecting them. I don't I don't see why that's an unreasonable request from from parents. The 2 weeks after the attack, uh the news companies had to sue the district to get surveillance video from outside the the school so the public could even, you know, evaluate the response of police officers. The the school district argued the footage would give away security secrets, which was actually kind of a bunch of bull. An appellate judge rejected the argument um, and said that the video is something parents of the students should be able to evaluate to participate in future decisions. So the school district kept fighting and fighting and fighting. Uh, But the school district, even even this article points out, has a really a, a crazy interest and 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 it might be defensible to defend itself and make sure people don't know everything there is to know about what happened. The Broward County School District is the sixth largest school system in the country. More than two hundred and seventy thousand students, budget more than four billion. It's Broward County's largest public sector employer and the leadership of the Broward County School District is hugely powerful in the community. And so uh, top business people, have, you know, the, the superintendent, this runcy guy, is, is hugely supported by the business people there. Uh, and 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 they, and they have actually had an increase in graduation rates. There have been some inefficiency issues that have been addressed, but but for the most part, at least the parents of the uh, of the kids who've been killed feel that they just simply have not gotten the information they need, and and whether or not that's something that is trying to protect them from being sued? Maybe so, but you don't have absolute protection from lawsuits here. There there was an interesting uh, part of the report, in part, that explored why Nicholas Cruz was transferred to Stoneman Douglas from Cross Creek School in Pompano Beach. So, so there was a, this is a school in Pompano Beach 
that gives emotionally and behaviorally disabled students the extra support they need. But, but for whatever reason, they moved him from the school that was had as its mission a way of uh, to to help behavioral, emotionally disabled kids. They transferred him from that school and popped him into the Stoneman Douglas community. And, and and of course, his behavior there just deteriorated, and they and and he was forced to withdraw from 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 school. I mean, the the situation is that they're claiming, well, he wasn't supposed to be there, you know, wasn't supposed to be indefinitely in in a special school. It wasn't intended to be that way, but and that's true. Not not everybody's, you know, supposedly it's a good thing that you help people and you maintain kids, and maybe once they get a leg up, then you you send them back into the community. There, that's true. Uh, but at the same time, though, somebody as erratic as he, they're still trying to figure out, well, why was he popped into this general population there? The campus at Stoneman Douglas had 3,300 students and, and zero help for emotionally troubled students like Cruz. So the school district not only moved him out of the special school in Pompano, but they sent him to Stoneman Douglas with any kind of action plan managing his behavior. And, and, they, and they consider that to be a grave mistake in, in not sending him with the plan. And they also then at that point locked down all the information, stopped talking about everything, and, and just refused to, to, to speak about these individual assessments. Now, keep in mind, isn't the the goal of this whole process in general is to prevent this from happening again, right? That wasn't it, we don't want this to happen again. We don't we we want to we want to we want to prevent this and and yet they focused a lot on gun laws. They focused a lot on you some people did. They focused a lot on taking your guns away and restricting your rights. But heaven forbid they look at the actions and the comportment of the school district. And and, and how, are, how are they protecting kids? That seems to me to be a logical way of approaching things. That seems to me to be a logical thing to expect is that, okay, fine, you can talk about guns and gun restrictions all you want, but don't pretend that guns are the only problem, and that's what they've been pretending. And the media, of course, is bored with the story now anyway. They, they, don't, they don't care about it. And it's, you know, once, once they've created a, a conflict and talked about guns and taking your guns away and everything else and, and all the kids out there pointing fingers and shaming politicians over their guns, had they devoted as much energy to basically attacking law-abiding citizens and their rights, if they had extracted, exacted more energy focusing on the wrongs of the school district, maybe we'd be getting someplace. But instead, they pointed all their fingers outward to you and me 
and and to our gun ownership and to gun ownership in general. And boy, the energy that they put out in holding all their news conferences and all their consortiums and all their, you know, capital steps, theatrics and everything else. Had they devoted that kind of energy to actually finding out what happened with Nicholas Cruz and all the balls that were dropped within the school district, maybe we actually would have some solutions and maybe uh, there there might be a, a future massacre derailed. There could be other schools that would benefit from this kind of energetic investigation of the school and how it happened in the first place. But for most of the activists out there, and indeed even the journalists, that's just too hard. It's much easier to drag a bunch of anti-gun nuts through the mire and prop up a bunch of anti-gun nuts and talk about gun rights and guns are the problem and America's terrible and you're terrible if you support politicians who support the NRA and you're terrible if you're a member of the NRA and you're terrible if you're a politician who supports the NRA. You'd think the NRA was responsible for this massacre after all is said and done. But it turns out the people probably most able to prevent this massacre would not have been the NRA, but the Broward County School District. But that's not sexy. And there are too many liberals who are running the show there in Broward County because it is a very liberal community. Full of chock full of Democrats, that's for sure. But they'll never blame, they'll never look into themselves. They'll always try to focus on law-abiding people and blame the usual people and never blame themselves. It's kind of why you have every city run by a Democrat is a, is a hellhole of murder, violence, and mayhem. And yet every single time, what do they do? They blame you. You're not paying enough taxes. You have too many guns. You, you have an AR-15. It's like, wait a second. You're in charge of a city where your population is in squalor and killing each other. Why is it my fault? But that's what they do all the time. And I don't want to reflexively just bash Democrats, but, you know, there's a little bit of a pattern here, I'm sorry to say. And the pattern is always they're going to turn around and turn their mob on law-abiding, decent people just to avoid the beacon on them. Broward County School Districts, no different than Maxine Waters, no different than Rahm Emanuel, no different. They just always want to, and, and by the way, they have the complicity of the media in all of this. I'm, uh, I'm hearing something on, in my headphones. Are you guys messing with something back there? Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing something. It's sounding like you guys are making bacon. There you go. So, yeah, but, but, that's, the, but that's, the, that's the deal here. And, and 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 the media is far too willing to take the bait and blame the shiny objects. And thank goodness for the Sun Sentinel, which is a media outlet, so to speak. And the Sun Sentinel 
actually is doing due diligence and looking into this thing and trying to figure out what's going on with this thing uh, in Broward County. But but most of the media, you're not going to see any story about this on uh, on on ABC, NBC, or CBS News. But boy, David Hogg or somebody gets up there and starts, you know, shame on you, Marco Rubio, for supporting the NRA. Oh, they'll give him thirty minutes. But they, but 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 look inside what the Broward County School District did regarding Nicholas Cruz. It was a highly preventable situation. It seems no one can know exactly what a student's going to do. There are plenty of students out there who talk and squawk and do all that kind of thing. But Nicholas Cruz wasn't one of them. He was a disturbed, admittedly disturbed individual who actually sought help on his own, which is rare anyway. And they denied it and left him to float around in this school district with no help at all and just said, just don't bring a backpack. You believe that? A school district that orders one of its students not to show up at school with a backpack. They can't have a backpack because they're so scared of him. They don't think that's a problem. But anyway, again, there's a, there, there is a running theme here that it, it seems to run through most of the liberal circles, and that is that when all else fails, just blame the NRA. When all else fails... Blame Republicans. When all else fails, blame conservatives. And they do it reflexively, habitually. And that's exactly what's happening in, in, in Broward. But thank goodness there's a little bit of illumination coming from uh, the people at the Sun Sentinel. So there you go. That wasn't difficult, was it now? We are live from the Discovery Design Truck Care and Manufacturing Studios ddtruckusa.com going to have uh, Rick Pogan and maybe tomorrow to hang out with us don't forget too about Matthew Mitchell and the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency 855 quote me 855 quote me is the number you can save hundreds of dollars a year on your home insurance your car insurance with Matthew Mitchell and the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency he's my agent you ought to make them yours. And you might say, well, wait a minute. I'm already in a uh, – I'm already in an insurance plan. They, they, they're going to they're gonna punish me if I leave. And I'm like, no, they're not. John Powell Walsh says he's bringing a CD player. Um, I, I They must have heard me. But – it's okay, Johnny. You don't have to bring one, buddy. Good morning this morning, everybody. 855-QUOTE-ME is the number for Matthew Mitchell. Don't forget, too, about Proctor Drapery. Proctor spelled like doctor. But if you close your eyes, does it ProctorDrapery.com. 45 years into business, people. Come on now. It's a guy who started when he was 23 years old. He's a little whippersnapper. But he's your interior designer. He is your eye on all that is window fashion for you. 
Michael Proctor, Proctor spelled like Dr. Proctor Drapery dot com. Right. But if you close your eyes. Also, thank you to Ricky Hall, veteran-owned Nutrition HQ. NHQ.rocks is the website you can order online. You can also give the gift of healthiness and verve and energy by going to Nutrition HQ and stocking up, maybe getting your lovely one hooked up with a plan that will help them get back in action or just stay in action. It'll be great. Nutrition HQ is right there in Rock Hill at Manchester and McKnight. And Ricky is an Air Force veteran, good guy, and love his support. Jenna is uh, my future. His wife is my future uh, accountant for the Radio Free Almond, Almond Arts Enterprise. So appreciate them. The power couple, Right. And don't forget about Golden Oak Lending. Two months of free float. You're not going to have to pay a mortgage. Not going to have to pay a mortgage for two months. It's pretty good. That's pretty good, people. Well, you know, since we're on the subject of uh, of guns and gun control, did you see the latest from <laughs> this state senator? And it, 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 a lot of this stuff happens at the uh, at the local level, but there's this goofball in New York State, and he is a uh, state senator. And these people, I mean, I, I I I laugh until I cry about this, though. This guy wants to have the police browse through your tweets, your Facebook updates, and Instagram posts before approving you for a handgun permit. So this is another example of where you have individuals, usually liberals, who decide that they're not gonna they're not gonna go after like for instance their fellow liberals who are running city after city into the ground and, and and creating an environment where there's very little prosperity, very little school growth, and a bunch of empty, burned out, abandoned buildings. They're not gonna do that. They're gonna they're gonna focus on your Facebook page and your Instagram. That'll be the ticket before approving you for a handgun permit. I mean, these people are watching their own citizens murder each other day in and day out over $5 or some disrespect or whatever, and that's nothing you're going to find out on a Facebook page. But that's, that's, the, that's the reasoning behind this, uh, this bill that's been introduced by uh, State Senator Kevin Parker. But listen to what he has to say, because it sounds very familiar. Should authorities be able to deny handgun licenses for hateful tweets? A New York state senator is raising the question. Try not to sound so excited, dude, by the way. 
I mean, you're with the AP, you're doing a video, you can't, you can't jump up the energy just a little bit. You act like they're, they're, they're sending you to the gallows here. Speak up! With a bill that would require applicants for handgun licenses to reveal their social media and online search histories. It's a new time. It's a new technology. It's time that we, in fact, have, start having that conversation about how we monitor social media. Yeah. You hear that? What, what part of that did you hear that sounds familiar? Yeah. The, 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 the conversation starter. The, the left wing will always want to hide behind this idea that all they're really doing is, is wanting to uh, start a conversation. From the, they're, they're really, they're, they're, so they'll, they'll come up with the wackiest damn ideas on the planet. But they'll always say, well, this is just a conversation starter. It's like, no. And they'll always hide behind that. And by the way, the idea that, 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 that any American would in any way, shape, or form decide that that's a good thing to start to have the police monitoring your social media just in case to, to determine whether or not you might be a threat or not. Just the fact that there's an American out there who believes that is disturbing enough. But when, they, when they're politicians, that becomes dangerous. Let's talk about gun policy. When you were a state lawmaker. This is Stacey Abrams, another state lawmaker, this time in Georgia, who was tricked into believing she had a rat's chance in hell of becoming governor of Georgia. And sadly enough, it was uh, the tricking by Oprah Winfrey that she thought for sure she had this in the bag. And, of course, Al Sharpton recently came out saying, there must have been some kind of voter. Uh, this, this has been stolen from us. It's like, no, it wasn't. But that's his big deal. The, the race was stolen. But anyway, as a state senator, she came up with some pretty sweeping, broad gun control initiatives. But listen to how she defends it to uh, none other than Jake Tapper there on CNN. When you were a state lawmaker in 2016, you co-sponsored a bill that would have allowed Georgia state authorities to take away so-called assault weapons from current gun owners. Most similar bans would grandfather in existing uh, weapons of that sort, semi-automatic rifles that are called uh, assault weapons. So is that your current position, that law-abiding gun owners in Georgia should have to give up those weapons if authorities deem it necessary? In the state of Georgia, you introduced legislation to start conversations. Yeah. There's another state-level Democrat, another state-level liberal, who decides that they just want to start conversations. This idiot up in New York. Do you really want to you really want to have the police monitor Facebook pages and Instagram account and tweets of people to before they're approved to get a gun that they're allowed by the Constitution to have? You really want that? Well, we're just trying to start the conversation. And then Stacey Abrams like, you really want to take people? Well, I'm, no, this is, we just do this to start conversations, which means in the end, really what it is, is it's a stunt. And they, and they really don't mean it. They just kind of wanted to throw it out there. I really don't mean that. I just want to want to throw it out there at you. That's all. Just want to kind of do figure that whole thing out. Just want to throw it out at you. But, I mean, 
this is the kind of lack of seriousness that we have on the part of politicians. Republicans have been guilty of it before as well. They haven't paid enough attention to certain things. They've been going after shiny objects for a while too at times. But it seems like it's very prolific among the the left wing and the liberals. Where 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 and the and the Broward County School District example is a perfect one because that's an example of where all down in Florida after the Parkland shooting, it was all about you. You were to blame because you own guns or because you support the NRA or it's because Marco Rubio supported the NRA or anybody who supported the NRA had blood on their hands. But they never focused on what really happened in Broward County. And it turns out that the, the people most responsible for the deaths of 17 people was probably the Broward County School District. I mean, the, the second after Nicholas Cruz was probably the Broward County School District. But these people never focus on this. Stacey Abrams in Georgia and, and, and uh, it represents a district that uh, the, the violent death rate is one of the highest in Georgia. And, and, and yet she decides that the problem really is with law-abiding citizens. It's like, no, but that's, but that's what they do. I mean, that, that's, that's how they roll things out. And, 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 and what happens is it, it stops people from, being, uh, from, from uh, paying attention because you, you just stop listening after a while. And, that, and, that's, and that's how it's been going down uh, there. Meanwhile, uh, the, the, the problem, according to Democrats, like, for instance, um, so Stacey Abrams loses her election. Uh, Gillum loses his election. Beto loses his election. And guess what Senator Hirono says is, is the problem? It, it's, it's never actually, it's never the, the Democrats that would be the problem. It's it's and, and like and 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 it, it runs in the family because Hillary Clinton is the same way that they really have the answer really isn't about them it's not it's not their problem it's kind of about it's about you so so before we let this go um, I guess connect this is an interview with Senator Hirono and by the way I must be missing out because. Every time I turn around, uh, this is a conference in D.C. Every time I turn around, I'm seeing people interviewed, whether it's Hillary or maybe there's some uh, Supreme Court justice or maybe there's somebody else here. I'm always seeing people sitting in these on these gigantic stages with a couple of water bottles and a plant. And and that's supposed to be entertaining, and I'm amazed. It's attended by hundreds of people watching these two people talk to each other up on a darkened stage with a couple of water bottles and a rubber tree plant. It's like, how, how is it possibly remotely thrilling? But apparently a lot of people do it. A lot of people spend their lives doing that at conferences. I mean, I know conferences sometimes can be interesting, but it's probably why I don't do why I do what I do, and not I'm not in the other uh, other lines of work because I'd probably skip out of the conference. 
You're sending me to you sending me to Florida for a conference. I'm going to the beach. But it's probably why I do what I do. And we're gonna go down to uh Miami Beach for a conference. I'm like, you think I'm gonna be anywhere remotely indoors anywhere at that place? So I'd probably try to but the good thing is I would probably probably uh decide that I would uh there would be my incentive to get a high enough position in the company to where I could go and then delegate people to be at the conference in my place while I'm at the beach. That's what, so that would be a motivating factor of, of mine that I would, I, would, I would become. You know, I want to become uh, higher up in the company just so I can go to conferences and not attend them and instead go to the beach. That's what I would do. Yeah, Chris, the beach sounds great, right? Great, right about now it does. It's about the time you see all these commercials, you know, for these uh, cruises, and you and you see commercials for Caribbean cruises and those kinds of things, and that's that's the that's the ticket right there. I thought Ben Murphy was supposed to do a Radio Free Almond, set up a Radio Free Almond cruise for us, right around January, right around February, where where. We're just about to stick our head in an oven because it's so miserable. I mean, if it weren't for the fact that I had a couple of babies who were born in February, I'd be – I'd lose my – February would be – I'd like it just to be off the calendar for crying out loud. <laughs> anyway, so Senator Hirono is interviewed about this and – uh, about just the Democratic Party and what's going on. And and so, of course, in keeping with the Democrat way, they'll never blame – they'll never blame themselves. I mean, Senator Hirono might as well be Hillary, might as well be Stacey Adams, might as well be Andrew Gillum, might as well be Beto O'Rourke, anybody, because they don't believe that they're the problem when they lose elections or they're not succeeding. Let this go. Um, I guess – Connected to this asymmetry of focus and intensity mm-hmm. around the court, and obviously we're talking to a room of people who really, really care about the courts. What is the? Yeah, thing- you have to care about the courts to sit in 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 in, in this nightmare. That Democrats need to be saying about why the courts matter. Like if if it didn't work when we had a vacant seat that was held open for a year. <sighs> And, by the way, while Ted Cruz was campaigning on, right, Ted Cruz was running in 2016 saying not just I held this seat open for a year, but I'll hold it open for four more years if Hillary gets elected. I mean, they're openly crusading about it. What is the thing Democrats need to say to help voters bump this from issue number 14 up to issue number one? Well, it was issue number one for me. Or you know, it wasn't fourteen. The Supreme Court thing we knew full full well was at stake. What was at stake between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton? By the way, so I don't know who she's talking to, who who believe that the the, uh, the Supreme Court judges, federal court judges, are number fourteen on their list. Because uh, I don't know anybody who's has that. But anyway, here, listen to her. I wish I had the answer to that because one of the things that we uh, Democrats um, have a really hard time uh, is connecting to people's hearts instead of here. Um, We're really good at shoving out all the information that touch people here but not here. And I have been saying it all of our – She's pointing to her head. And and she's wrong on that level because that's all Democrats do 
is appeal to emotion. They 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 there's they don't they don't appeal to anything related. To, I'm sorry, not all Democrats, but that's what Democrats we know of have been dealing with emotion. We just heard from two of them who figured they'd have gun control um, legislation just because they they feel like there's a problem in it. They feel like it has to be your problem. And because they know it's not smart to to assert that that police ought to be reviewing Facebook accounts before we get a, a gun. I mean, they, they know that's a terrible idea, but they figure that there's going to be a few people who are so emotionally traumatized by the violence in the country that they'll buy into it. Anyway, let me let me let her finish. Democratic retreats that we need to speak to the heart, not in a manipulative way, not in a way that brings forth everybody's fears and, and resentments, but truly to speak to the heart so that people know that we're actually on their side. We have a really hard time doing that. And one of the reasons that, that it was told to me at one of our retreats was that we Democrats know so much that is true. And we have to kind of <laughs> tell everybody how smart we are. And, and so we have a tendency to, to be very left brain. And we think this. Yeah. So Emperor Hirono says that we have to just simply tell everybody how smart we are. That's 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 the main reason why there is the, – the, the Democrats haven't won is because they haven't conveyed adequately to the rest of you unwashed masses out there uh, that – that how smart they are. They need to, they need to know uh, – they haven't conveyed that to you, so you haven't really. Re- so that's why you haven't voted Democrat. People is because uh, is is because you just haven't. They haven't told you enough, convinced you enough of how amazingly smart they are. So that's what they're chalking that up to. Today is a national day of mourning, which means all of the federal offices are closed. Uh, including banks and that kind of thing, and so I, I, so your banks are closed, and schools aren't closed though, right? <clears throat> and, and so I, and I do find it interesting. I, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of conflicted on the National Day of Mourning because really, uh, it's interesting how we are lauding and 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 by the way. Uh, major props to the Bush family for saying that they do not want this politicized in any way, shape, or form and do not want this to be used as a platform to bash Donald Trump or 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 uh, attack Donald Trump. They're leaving that to the media. Uh, and so, you know, kudos to them for 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 doing that and coming out and saying, we don't want this to turn political. And you know what? Interestingly enough, kudos to Megan McCain. And I'll play this for you one more time because it's interesting. Megan McCain, who actually ruined her own father's funeral by being political and, and attacking Trump. And the McCain funeral was an, was a, was an orgy of Trump attacks, which was hugely embarrassing and even demeaning to John McCain. But Megan McCain was the one who on The View said she didn't want to hear about this whole... Uh, That's part of their job. Yeah. But Trump he, stuff. He had such a respect for what they McCain. did. Yes. And the role that they play. So I think there's so much to learn from his life. And I hope that the next generation, they may not know him the way that we do, 
well, the way we well, remember him, but I hope they learn from him. I want to say one thing about him that was not picked up, really, because as a candidate, he said, those who think we're powerless to do... Joy Behar's personal slave prepared her some information that she doesn't understand, doesn't, doesn't know, but only can read off of a card, by the way, so... Major accomplishment for Joy. Anything about the greenhouse effect, or forgetting about the White House effect, and then he signed into law the Clean Air Act Amendment of 1990, <laughs> one of the most sweeping environmental. Yeah. Nice, nice read there, Joy. Very nice. Ever, yeah. This president that we have now is trying to unravel everything that he did and Obama did. And if I ever become a one-issue voter, it will be about pollution and the greenhouse effect and, and Can the we fact focus that on the president yeah. please i, I just i don't want to talk about trump we're honoring a great uh, president in the past please i, I want to talk about the we're different. honoring but i'm not interested in your one issue i don't care what you're interested in i'm talking well i don't care you what you're interested in either later there you go just just when just when the view starts to get interesting whoopi goldberg says Let's take a break. It's like, no, 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 don't take a break now. Take a break right before you get to Joy Behar. Or how about right in the middle of her statement? Why don't you take a break then? But don't take a break when it gets interesting. And I could see two women about to claw each other's faces off. It's called The View. We want to see a fight on this show. But that's probably why The View doesn't do too well, is because just when things actually start to get remotely interesting, they decide to take a break. But anyway, that was Meghan McCain saying, listen, don't use this time to attack the president. And that's coming from a woman who took the time out of her dad's funeral to attack the president. So we're making progress here. I'm, I, I think that she's pro- finally realized that that probably wasn't the best idea in the world. But major props to the Bush family uh, for saying, we don't want any politics in this. We've This is it would be completely uh, beyond the pale embarrassing if this turned into a, an anti-Trump thing, and it shouldn't. Anyway, but knowing that the Bush family does have a certain degree of angst about the Trumps in general and President Trump in particular, uh, you you think that it would happen. But good for them to uh, good for them to go ahead and and uh, and and come out and and basically issue a warning: don't do the politics. We're not gonna not gonna mess with this. And good for them. And so I do find it odd, though, a National Day of Mourning. I have to tell you for. And, and there's going to be a lot of talk about H.W.'s uh, public service. And it seems to me that on a day where you're lauding a man's public service, to kind of stop public service is weird. But that's just me, you know. There's no reason to stop delivering the mail on a on a, on a day of a uh, day like this. But anyway, that's, that's just, I'm not, it's not like I'm waiting for anything. I'm just saying <laughs> it's kind of odd, but oh, well, it's a national day of mourning. And, and, and the Bush family says, no, no Trump baloney, none of this stuff. And, uh, and in good for them, we'll just leave it to the media. And boy, I'll tell you what, you leave it to the media. So this, keep in mind what you're listening to here. And this is why people are, are so upset about this and and why it drives people so crazy is that we're looking okay right now and i'm I'm about to play a cnn clip we are looking at a piece of video and it shows the 
presence casket and and uh president hw's casket and, and and the and president trump and melania walking into the rotunda there to pay their respects to HW to the 41st president of the United States. So we're watching video of the president of the United States currently, Donald Trump and Melania and the first lady walking into the rotunda to pay their respects to a the flag draped coffin and to HW Bush, 41st president of the United States. We're watching video of this. And this is the narration from people at CNN from Jamie Gangel and a guy named uh, Jeffrey Engel, who's a panelist. This is this is their narration of this unbelievably powerful moment where the president and the first lady are walking into the rotunda to the flag-draped coffin of H.W. Bush, the 41st president of the United States. This is the CNN commentary coming to you. From CNN. You know, he, he's not one to mend fences too, too readily. I think he's doing this because he feels he has to do it. And I'm also assuming that General Kelly. So we're hearing from Jamie Gangang already, and this is uh, 10 seconds in. We're hearing all the key words from this uh, correspondent. I feel and I'm assuming. I no, I think and I'm assuming. I'm I think I know how he feels and I'm assuming this. This is CNN, all right? The world's most important network, right? CNN, the world's most important network. And you have a correspondent on a panel and they are in the first 10 seconds in of this narration, you're hearing from a from Jamie Gangell who already has said I think, and I'm assuming, which means she knows nothing, but doesn't keep her from talking. Not one to mend fences too too readily. I think he's doing this because he feels he has to do it. And I'm also assuming that General Kelly has had a big hand in it. I- Since when is, is this in any way representative of any credible kind of reporting or any credible kind of analysis, when now 12 seconds in, she's already assuming that someone did something, but she doesn't really know it. She just is assuming that. It's like, what, what you're, you're in, you're in a, um, you're in a position in your company and the boss asks you about something and you respond, well, I'm assuming, blah, blah, blah. How, how far do you get when you're in business world, in the business world or any other world for that matter, in assuming something as opposed to knowing it? Anyway. I know from the Bush family that they are very appreciative and think the White House has just bent over backwards, gone to great lengths, been extraordinarily helpful. That said, just I, I can't help but wonder if there was. A- oh, and now we're, at, now we're wondering. 
So now we're 20 seconds into the uh, Jamie Gangel analysis of this critical moment where the President of the United States is at the Capitol with the First Lady and is paying respects to the 41st President of the United States in his flag red coffin. And we have Jamie Gangel, who already within the first 26 seconds, the sum total of her analysis, I think, I assume, and I'm wondering. That's CNN right there. I think, I assume, and I'm wondering. And it, and, it, and it only gets worse. Thought bubble over Donald Trump. Can't help but wonder if there was a thought bubble over Donald Trump's head. And now, now, and now she's inventing thought bubbles. I can't help but wonder whether there's a thought bubble over. I mean, it's like this is the analysis we're getting from CNN as we have a moment which probably should be just simply taken in visually inaudibly instead of having somebody talking over it. But when CNN does talk over it, they decide that they're going to try and, and be critical of the president, of the, United States, the current president of the United States with analysis that includes, I think, I assume, and I'm wondering, and thought bubbles. Just now, what he was thinking as he stood there, I... I have to imagine he was thinking, how much longer do I have to stand here? I mean, okay, so now we've got, okay, let's see. I'm trying to keep track here. So we have, I think, I assume, I wonder, and I imagine. This is 36 seconds into the into this, into this deal here, where we're seeing this very personal, very solemn moment where you have the President of the United States paying tribute to the 41st President of the United States deceased and his flag-draped coffin at the, at, the, at, the, uh, at the Capitol, and you've got two of these goofballs on CNN wondering, thinking, assuming, and now imagining. So basically they have, they have no facts, nothing to, uh, to, to, to present to you other than Imagining, wondering, thinking, assuming. Crazy. It's, it's, you know, he had to be there. He did it. Um, I think it's interesting he did it because maybe he could have waited to the National Cathedral. And then he saluted. It was... All told about a minute and 15 seconds. It it was somewhat theatrical. Um, I don't know. I, I, the last funeral that I saw... And, and I, I barely remember it. Uh, and, and well, the, the, the two last funerals of presidents I've seen, I, I saw one. Uh, when, remember when when Ronald Reagan died, and I don't remember who did what there. Uh, but saluting a, a president saluting the casket of a deceased former president is not theatrical, correct? I remember actually. I I remember the. Maybe sound old, but I remember the funeral of Dwight Eisenhower. I remember that was on the on the uh, TV. It was nineteen sixty nine. We had the TV on. We all sat around and watched the uh, Eisenhower funeral. But but since when is since when is a is a uh, is a president? Uh, since when? So yeah, we're fifty three seconds into this, and we also we have two panel members on CNN who 
the sum total of their analysis is based on them thinking, imagining, wondering, and assuming. And also creating the idea that someone, a president saluting a casket is theatrical. Uh, in nature, but it's, I, I can't imagine. That now she can't is, imagine. So she went from imagining to can't imagining. Very comfortable for him <laughs> these moments. And I think. It's, it's no wonder CNN is, is so in the toilet. I'm telling you. And Jamie Gangell, what is she doing here anyway? It is going to be fascinating to watch the cathedral on Wednesday and how he interacts with these other presidents. Oh, I can't wait for that. I, I can't wait for that. Never mind it's the it's the funeral of the 41st president of the United States. Never mind that it's a national day of mourning. Never mind that we are here to commemorate the accomplishments of the 41st president and to bury the 41st president. I can't wait until the body language expert appears on CNN. Well, you know that's going to happen, right? Or is it going to be on CNN? Or will it, it might even be on Fox News, knowing Fox News these days. But, uh, but, but somebody's going to have a body language expert. And I wish I had a prize for the person who predicts who is the first one to have a body language expert. I mean, MSNBC is insufferable, but I don't think they would even have a body language expert. I believe the prize for having the body language expert will belong to CNN. Because they're, they're, today, they're going to be watching President Trump like a hawk. They're going to be analyzing every single handshake, every single look, everything. And and this is what the GW or the HW funeral is going to be about: is CNN covering the body language or the or the mannerisms of President Trump? Oh, they're this is going to be a this is going to be a troll fest. I think it is going to be fascinating to watch the cathedral on Wednesday and how he interacts with these other presidents. And how he sits there during these eulogies. Well, Jeffrey, that that is one of the things. I mean, tradi- and how he sits there during the eulogies. So, so I'm assuming that uh, that today, after today's coverage, that uh, that Jamie Gangell and the crew will start to invent more thought bubbles, or will they start to imagine more, or wonder more, or assume more, or think more when they don't know? I mean, this is just this is comical. Sometimes I'm telling you, you get the you, you get the best. Uh, it doesn't take. This is one minute and seventeen seconds in, and we know everything we need to know about CNN in one minute and seventeen seconds. So preserve this little moment here, and 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 and, and just know that this is this is the very definition of CNN. This is, I mean, right now while I'm watching them salivate over trolling the president today at the funeral i'm watching the president and the first lady standing in front of the casket of the 41st president of the united states while they're while they're saying this it's unreal a a, sitting president would 
give a eulogy for a, a former president. Right. Um, obviously, that is not going to take place. You know why? Because the a former president is the son of H.W. Bush, and he's giving the eulogy. So, so it's not like the it's not like President Trump has been snubbed. In fact, I I, I can't guarantee you this, but I would imagine, just like Jamie Gangell, right? Because we're all imagining here that that had H W not the son not be, he would give the eulogy uh, if he were not the president of the United States, it would probably likely be the current sitting president of the United States because that's generally protocol, unless of course the uh, the the deceased has a son who happens to be a former president, then maybe you'd probably wind up giving the the eulogy task to that individual, wouldn't you? You'd think. And and Anderson Cooper finally kind of admits uh, it. This is a special circumstance of giving that President Bush's son, who was, is also a former president, is going to be giving the eulogy. Um, but it, it's it's one thing to have for the Bushes to have President Trump there, it's another thing, it would have been another thing for them to let him speak. Exactly. I mean, and, and I think that we need to remember the historical precedent that you just mentioned, that a sitting president in the room is the one who is typically given the honor of, of addressing the crowd. Any- right, but, but his son is a former president. It's G.W. Bush. So what they're trying to do here, and of course they have no, they, they have no knowledge of any of the decision-making process of what these th- these people made, and you know what, I don't either. But 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 I'm not assuming, like they are, that the president not giving the eulogy is some kind of snub and some kind of remark on President Trump himself. The fact of the matter is, it seems perfectly reasonable that the person giving the eulogy would be the former president who happens to be the son of the deceased 41st president. It seems to me this is perfectly logical. And again, all this is taking place while we're watching the president and Melania uh, and the first lady standing in front of the, of the casket. These people have no shame. I'm sorry I'm laughing because it's, it's, it's almost so it's, – it's almost so unbelievably ridiculous and such – and so predictable and horrible that uh, – that you have to just kind of laugh at it and 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 just say, uh, "Godspeed to you into the into the ranks of television hell, CNN," because that's exactly that's exactly where you belong. People coming up, I've got some of my favorite people in the studio. Yeah, I don't know whether you guys uh, recall Gemily or specifically. John Paul Walsh and Scotty Kennebec. I don't know. I traditionally have them in on the holidays because they always have some great music to share with us and upcoming concerts to promote. Sometimes they'll pop in during a uh, on, on St. Patrick's Day. You know, these two guys. I mean, Kennebec and Walsh. I mean, come on. There might be a little Scottish in there, I guess. I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, come on in. Hey, Scotty. How are you doing? Nice to see you. Love you. 
Uh, did you guys bring in a CD with you? I mean, uh, that I can look at? Oh, we're going to set up another mic, too, because it's special. It's my buddy Chuck Gloam over there. Hey, my friend. Love you, buddy. Aw. Oh, nice. Oh, beautiful. Perfect. Oh, nice. Thank you. Chuck and Donna Gloam are neighbors of mine, and we do this old school fun thing where sometimes they'll have people over at their house, and Taylor is a, is a, is a wonderful musician herself, a pianist, and was the piano teacher for uh, Lily and Natalie, and we have like these... I, it's totally old school. Not many people do that. We have these, these uh, almost like these 1950s style uh, musical gatherings where people come to the house and you guys hop on the piano and people sing and they and and, and people just do present whatever kind of song they might want to present. The holiday gatherings are fun though too because we sometimes do those where we sing Christmas carols and stuff like that. It's like so cool. It's yeah. like, old time par- parlor party. Exactly. Soirees. Yes, yeah. indeed. I'm going to move you a little closer to this that microphone, John. This is what we did before television. <laughs> exactly. No doubt about it. So these guys. So so. Uh, Here's the deal, and this is so funny because you guys uh, – is this on iTunes yet? Not yet. Not yet. Soon, soon to be. be. Yeah. It will be soon mm-hmm. to be. Okay. Well, uh, this is – first of all, this is a, it's a beautiful title. I always, I always get goosebumps when these guys bring in their, their, their music because it just is so beautiful to listen to. And, um, and, and these, these CDs, this one is uh, Angels Bending Near the Earth, uh, Scott Kennebec, Emily – uh, truck and broad is that, uh, that right? Yeah, Emily is the uh, voice professor at the Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville, SIU Edwardsville. Very fine singer. She's she's a colleague of you know Scott and I's, and she joined us on this Christmas recording. And you'll see she has a lovely voice. Uh, and and John Paul Walsh, you just heard from right there. And was this recorded at in, the in the cathedral? Yep. In the cathedral. Yeah. Wow. We also have the Archdiocesan handbell choir on there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So uh, they, they brought in the CDs, and so Morgan and Matt, you guys actually brought in a CD player, but we wound up with a um, – and, and Matt knows that, uh, that I'm not much of a planner. And, and, uh, and, and so um, usually I, I tend to make life miserable for people around me at, at times. And, oh, do you have a CD player? I, 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 of course, why would I ask him yesterday if he had a CD player? Why not ask him – yeah, the, the minute the show starts, whether well, or not we Chuck, have a CD Chuck player. came to our rescue this I know. morning. So. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And then uh, Morgan went. I think you – did you go home, Morgan, to get the – yes, Morgan went home to get a CD <laughs> player because nobody – well, this is a music studio, but keep in mind, these guys are so technologically forward that you're not going to have a uh, – Our uh, next recording is not going to be a CD. It's going to be a USB drive oh nice yeah they do those now is that the new thing yeah because mm-hmm. cars yeah. don't come with cd players i know so you've got a port so yeah they, the the company we work with to create those cds make usb drives wow so we'll be we'll be doing that on the next one well yeah, i our, have our old recordings will be available on that oh same good format so. okay well i have uh i have a cd player in my jeep so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna rock one of these 
okay. today in my Jeep, I'll tell you that. So uh, it's called Angels Bending Near the Earth. And how do people get a hold of this, by the way? Uh, they can get them at the Cathedral Gift Shop. They have them there for sale, or Catholic Supply has them, or on my website, uh, scottkennebeck.com. Oh, great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, Scott, you are the uh, – I always get this wrong, though. You're the director of music? I'm or? the executive director of St. Louis Cathedral Concerts. Concerts, okay. Right. And by the way, do we have any of those coming up? Well, we do in the in the new year. We just had our Christmas at the Cathedral concert this past weekend. Right, okay. So, But John and I are doing a Christmas concert with Emily, doing most of the stuff on this CD at the Sheldon on Saturday, December 15th at oh, 11 o'clock. nice. At yeah. 11 o'clock? 11 a.m. in the morning, yeah. I love the Sheldon. That's a beautiful space. It, it really, really is. is. Yeah. Uh, I think last time I was there, I saw um, Tony Bennett there. He oh, was wow. That was great. I saw him recently at the Fox, but but uh, I ran into him in New York. Do you know that? Really? Yeah, I, I, I was walking down the street. Literally? I, I, yeah, almost. <laughs> I walked down the street, and I, and I walked by the Trump Tower there, and standing on the steps waiting for a car is Tony Bennett. Did you Bennett. a song with him? <laughs> no. He, <laughs> the poor guy, he was very nice. You know, He had his little tracksuit on. He's a gracious man, I hear. Oh, I, I, yeah, he really is a, a great guy. All right, so uh, should we just go ahead and uh, – this is let, let's go ahead with uh, number um, – Number number one here. You can. Oh, we... I think they were ready for number four. Oh no! Oh, oh number four. Okay, so do you all have a you have yeah. a plan here? Here, let me give you the, one of these here. You, let's let's walk through this because this is this is beautiful music, by the way, yeah, folks. Yeah, this is Scott singing the birthday of a king. Okay, cut number four, huh? Let's listen. Actually, this we can keep going with this, but this is the Archdiocesan Handball Choir playing the arrangement of the Bells of St. Mary's. Oh, did you? Are you guys do four we're, we're or on, one? We're on number one, so okay. Okay, here, let's do four first, and then uh, <laughs> Matt's like, "I'm sorry, I haven't operated a CD player in a long time." <laughs> there we go. Here we go. This is all recorded at the cathedral. Right, using the cathedral organ. It's just an amazing wow. instrument. This is so beautiful, Scott and John, and this, it's interesting that you all have the, and you guys can fade that down just a little bit, but you guys, it's interesting you guys have only two of the 17, well, um, uh, three of the 17 on this are actually uh, like familiar tunes, like for instance, you have the bells of St. Mary's. You have well. You have actually you have four. What child is this? You have Ave Maria, and you have Do You Hear What I Hear. 
but you all have chosen, like, for instance, I've never heard uh, the birthday of a king, Scott. That was a new piece to me, actually. John did a wonderful job finding these pieces, but it, it really is songs that you may not have heard of, but are really wonderful seasonal songs. Certainly. I got the idea to do the birthday of a king when I was listening to him do the Canadian National Anthem. Oh, okay. He should also sing <laughs> the birthday of a king. It's just that it has that majesty to it. Yes, it does. And, and, and what's interesting is when you look at these other Christmas songs, so to speak, and, and, and I love how they just simply uh, they, they settle in on the true spirit of Christmas and the birth of Christ, and there's this kind of this beautiful kind of clarity and power to, to these songs. But I'm interested, how, how does a Christmas carol or song become a popular one, and, and how, how is it that I didn't know that there were probably a hundred other Christmas carols, so to speak, out there that I've never heard of? How do you find them? Well, those parlor parties, for one reason. I mean, when people got together, they chose the songs that they wanted to sing themselves. So, you know, you have Silent Night. You have all of the, uh, you know, Deck the Halls, all that yeah. kind of stuff, all the, all the regular things that you think of. But there are millions of other, of yeah. other settings of things, texts and things that, that people you don't hear every day. And all these speak to the, the nativity story and the nativity narrative. And that's why we chose the... Uh, art glass window that's on the front cover. That's the uh, nativity window from St. Anthony Padua Church in the city down on Merrimack. Oh, wow. Uh, that's a church where my father was uh, baptized 100 years ago, uh, the, you know, this year. And that window's always been very special to me. And our, our Canadian photographer, Renee Ziner, and I went down there, and he took that photo of those pictures. Wow, and, that's uh, beautiful. I mean, you know, we wanted the whole album to kind of reflect that, that window. Um, that's beautiful. Where is this window? St. Anthony of Padua. Huh. Right at Merrimack in Michigan. You can see the Twin Towers from... Well, I'll have to check that out. Because, you know, I I guess this is another thing I didn't know. Because I don't think I've ever anywhere seen uh, seen a stained glass portrayal of the nativity. Oh, really? Yeah, they're all over. St. John Nepomuk down in uh, Soulard has got a beautiful nativity window. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's gorgeous. I, I mean, that's that's just so. You know, we've we've done, I think, a good job of preserving our churches here. Um, I know some of them had to be closed, but at least if they if they turn them into oratories, at the least, right. which is good. Well, I know it's a miracle that Saint Anthony of Padua survived because they survived that fire from about what ten years ago. Oh right. Yeah, I was there that morning. They called our company in to take a look at the make sure that they. Salvage the pipe organ. Yeah, you know, not only from the fire, but also from the rain and from the, the water from the yeah, fire right, department right. Too. They did a beautiful yeah. restoration after the fire. The whole roof of the church burned. Wow, so, yeah, that's amazing. This is a beautiful. I could, I'd love to see this in person. I'm sure it's just magic. Yeah, you guys, you guys wrap these CDs up like it's a, like it's <laughs> a Tylenol bottle. And you can see that uh, Emily's much cuter than both of oh, us put together. I love it. But she'll, she'll be with us in concert at that Sheldon concert on the. December fifteenth. The CD itself has a copy of a rose window, one of the rose windows from. Uh, yeah, this is the window of love, the nativity window. Oh wow! Okay, now when you say a rose window, is that the round? Uh, the round windows. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, and uh, this this was what you're hearing right now is the uh, the bells of St. Mary's, correct? Oh no, you're not. We're, 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 this is green sleeves, right? Yes. Okay. What child is this? Yeah, with the bells. Yeah. 
with the with the carol bells. Wow. Yeah, the Archdiocese and Bell Choir is uh, directed by our friend uh, Burnell Hackman, who's the music director at the Peace Lutheran Church down on South Barracks in, yeah. in, in South County. And, and he does a marvelous job, you know, with the bell choir. And that was all recorded at the cathedral. And while John and I and Emily will be at the Sheldon Saturday morning on the 15th at 11, uh, the bells, John and I, will be at St. Mary and Joseph Chapel in Carondelet Saturday night. Oh, wow. So, yeah, doing a fundraiser for the uh, chapel there. Our friend Denise Dowd from St. Stephen Protomartyr Pro does um, kind of manages that right. chapel for weddings and funerals and that sort of thing. So we're doing another, our second annual fundraiser. That's amazing. There. So now, can I, are, are all these dates, all these things you just talked about, Scotty, are they on scottkennebec.com? They're really on Facebook. On so Facebook. If you go to Scott Kennebec Tenor. Look, look for that on Facebook. There, There's posts there about it. All right, yeah. good. Yeah, Scott Kennebec Tenor. Is the Facebook page, and I, I think what I'll do is uh, after the show, I'll put, I'll just share the page up on the Radio Free Almond Facebook page, so you guys can get a hold of that and 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 like it and, and and check it out. I guess one of the and what's great about this CD too is that you have all kinds of, as I said, all kind of off the grid Christmas songs, and I guess what defines the Christmas songs that become part of the vernacular are more songs you could sing along to. Like, I, like it would be hard to kind of sing along to the birthday of a king. You could. Uh, you could. You'd be yeah, fantastic, yeah. Jay. <laughs> yeah. It's more I mean, like Camelot to be right yeah, your style. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's got to only be like Camelot for me to be able yeah, to pull that exactly. one off. Um, but but nonetheless, it, I, I, it's it's beautiful uh, and and well, fascinating. I think there's something too phys- about having something physical in your hand that you can have. You know, yeah, having iTunes and all that is great, and you can have it anywhere. But to have something like that that's as beautiful as this has turned out, in my opinion, yes. if I say so myself. Uh, but it, it's really something to have something physical that you can have and yeah. keep and hold. That's why people love the vinyl too, right? I right. mean, it, yeah, it, and it's, it's coming just... back, and and books have never gone away. <laughs> yeah, you know, that right. was oh, no one's ever going to read a book again. Well. <laughs> Well, we're proving that wrong. I know. I, I even the idea of, of read. I know a lot of people do Kindle, but those are people who read. I, I mean, I know people who read like you know a, a book a week. You know, and they're they're, they're just Kindle people. But right. uh, nonetheless, it is it is nice, and, and it's also nice because you can you can read a little bit about the music and read about the people who are uh, doing the music. Which one is this? What number is this? This is still, still, still. Um, that's Emily singing her beautiful. Uh, this beautiful Emily song. and Scott and singing that in German. Oh, you're singing this in German. Let's hear this for a second. Yeah. And this is all recorded live. Yeah. We really, all of our recordings that John and I have done, actually, we treat them as live recordings, live performances. You know, we may not have an audience, but they're straight takes. No, not a whole lot of mixing. It's just the natural sound in the cathedral. Wow. So, like, uh, when do you do these? Like, like, you guys just, one day you go in and it's, is it, is it one Usually day you do in, all of them? We did this one in two days, I think. We had two days of recording. Um, and then another day with the bells, so it was actually three this, this time. But it's usually in the evening when things have quieted down around the cathedral. You know, the streets aren't as active. Yeah, right. Um, less sirens, maybe. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> I know, I was about to say, you got you to figure out when, I, but you never know when that's going to If you're in New York, you have to do it around the subway schedule. <laughs> right. Because you know, exactly. the, uh, you know, churches rumble. Yeah, no doubt. And, but, uh, and, uh, our recording engineer, Wayne Canelio, is 
has gotten extremely adept at uh, finding the best places to have microphones in the cathedral and, and the mixes and everything. So it's it's they really turn out really well, I think. And, and people can find all of your past work on on your website, right? All the past. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the cathedral itself, when they built the cathedral, do they take into account? Obviously, they do. But acoustics and is there something about the cathedral that is? Uh, acoustically sound and aware when it comes to the design? Yeah, that, that's, that's an excellent question. The, uh, of course, the churches have a visual sense to them of being sacred, that sort of thing. But, but the acoustical part of that is an invisible factor. You know, how people and congregations are able to hear the music, hear the spoken word. Right. Uh, you know, so that, that sense of them hearing one another and being together, you know, comes with a certain... Uh, number of seconds of reverberation now the st louis cathedral is on the high end you know like 11 seconds of reverberation but that enables people to hear each other you know hear each other sing you know to hear to to be with us so they not only see people they you know they hear that way too and a lot of our newer 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 churches have zero reverberation yeah you know so it just even if you want to sing or you know or respond with acclamation or something it just sucks Sucks your voice, right? Right. Yeah. You don't. You don't part, hear anything. Part of that is, I think, with the uh, modern uh, technology we have with sound headphones, things like that. Um, people come to expect to be able to hear every little thing. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. If I don't hear a second flute playing this one note in this measure here, I'm missing something. But that that's not how the composers thought of these pieces at all. You know, when Mozart wrote his coronation mass, he was writing it for Salzburg Cathedral, and he knew the acoustics in there. He knew how the music would come together and create chord on chord as one chord dissolved and another chord came up underneath it. Oh, really? He knew... He could hear that in his head. Wow. Most most classical composers had that. You know, there weren't real dry rooms that they were writing things for or yeah. thinking about, well, this is going to be recorded one day, so we've got to make these adjustments. It was, it was all for live performance in a reverberant space. Wow. That... A lot of the old churches, you'll see the pulpit will be on the side, the side wall of the church. And that, was, that was because they knew that if they spoke all the way down the full length of the church, people wouldn't hear it. But if they zigzagged, spoke off, oh, huh. off the walls and reflected off both walls. I did. You know, wow, that's... Like that. And yeah. at St. Francis de Sales or uh, St. Joe's Shrine, over their pulpits, they have a, a smaller roof, which acts as a shell to amplify their voice out without a microphone. Oh, right. Yeah, I've seen those before. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting, too, uh, in some churches, you can be someplace, like you can be sitting someplace... And and in certain areas around the other church, if someone's talking, you can hear what they're saying. It's like the arch at the Grand Hall at the <laughs> Union Station, the Whispering Arch. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because sometimes you can hear other people talking, which right. makes you a little more aware of what you're so during the nuclear, muttering during a during the nuclear winter. We'll want to go to those churches. Yeah, right. Don't exactly. Have electricity. And stuff yeah, right. Exactly. No, but it really, I mean, the cathedral is a special place because of the domes and the mosaics. And, I mean, it, there's a lot of reflective surfaces in there. So um, that's one of the challenges that we face being in there. You know, it, it's so reverberant. Yeah, right. But it, it does create an etherealness to the music. You know, and music is really the only art form that carries the word of God yeah. to the listener. You know, you can have an art piece and it's beautiful and it has meaning, but, but, the, but music carries... The word to the people. 
Love it. That's a beautiful way to put it, Scott. I'll tell you. And when it comes to the actual listening to the recording, knowing that it's recorded at a cathedral, knowing that it's live as if you were sitting there is, a, is another element that, that adds to the right. beauty of the recording. And with the concert series we have at the cathedral, you can sit there yeah, and right. hear it live. You know, you can come down to the cathedral and hear a concert. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing experience. And the space actually does add a whole other dimension to the performance. Right, so right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed and I I'm so appreciate you guys. Uh, it's kind of become a yearly thing. And then every once in a while, you'll stop in on a St. Patrick's Day. So we'll do, do, do that one, too, <laughs> right. uh, as well. And I guess this this other CD you brought in. Oh, this is my chance to brag about Scott, because this is Scott's collaboration with uh, an international star who's actually from the St. Louis area, uh, Christine Brewer. Uh-huh. So Scott and... Uh, Grammy award-winning Christine. Award yeah, the name sounds yeah, familiar. She's, but She's on internationally all over the place. But this is a recording... Um, of songs that were composed with lyrics by our our local star Eugene Field. Yes, who was a, a great poet and wrote a lot of children's literature, a lot of lullabies. You know the famous ones, "Little Boy Blue" and "Wink and Blink." Wink and Blink and, and, and Nod. I love Wink that one. Wink and Nod. So we did this. Uh, we were commissioned by the Eugene Field House to do this recording with her. And we did a concert the last month. It was kind of a fundraiser and a CD release on this. And this is sold through the Eugene Field Gift House. And, you know, so it's one of the one of their productions. But Scott and Christine just sound fabulous. Yeah, this recording. I love it. Did you did did you uh, unwrap one of those there? Or That's is it just... my last copy? Oh, it's it is. All yours, oh, thank you. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll share it with people and, on and, the other end. And that's that's you know that's a great and he's. That, that man is a great subject for another program and stuff like that. No yeah, doubt, come on and you know we can talk about. Well, his home stuff. is still right down yeah, downtown. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And they preserved that. That's where they just did a beautiful new addition last year that was opened. Uh, that's a, a wonderful exhibit space. They've got first editions of his poetry that you can look at in books, and uh, uh, they've got those CDs in a little gift shop down there. But uh, it's really a, a a great thing, and not. Not a whole lot of St. Louisans are are familiar with it, which is a shame. So oh, yeah. we're, we're happy to to use that CD to uh, to get the word out more about the Eugene Fieldhouse Museum. I used to love reading Winkin' and Blinkin' and Nod to the kids. It's just such a magical. Mm -hmm. was, it, was it sailed on a river of crystal light yeah. into a sea of dew? You know, yeah. it's, I, I, it's such so beautifully. Yeah, there's put, two settings you know. of that poem on the CD there. Oh wow, huh? I love that. I love that a lot, and, it, and it's great that they preserve that home down there. It's, yeah. you know, kind of like you're like, wow, that they they, they you, you you can look, you can almost imagine the whole neighborhood. It's like they stopped at Eugene Fields' house, right. and, and they didn't tear that down. Right. Thankfully, it's yeah. amazing, yeah. And the, the history is so rich. You know, uh, Eugene Fields' father was the attorney for Dred Scott. Oh wow! All the way yeah, to the Supreme a lot Court. Of, a lot of connections yeah. there. Oh, I, well, I had no idea. That's that's crazy. There's so much history that you all are so knowledgeable about, and you and you bring it out. And you know what? I also think would be really cool, and maybe they do that already. Is is there um, is there is there some kind of uh, there should be some kind of like stained glass tour or something? Something that where the whole day is spent 
uh, going or half a day is spent going to some of these churches. Well, you know, our, I don't know about that specifically, but our AGO, our American Guild of Organists chapter here in St. Louis, occasionally will do organ crawls to different churches. Oh, wow, yeah. To go and see the organs. You can certainly see the stained glass, but yeah, there's a there's just so much beautiful church architecture in St. Louis. Yeah. You know, each, each, as the immigrants came over, the Germans built their church, you know. Right. The, the Czechs built their church. The Polish built their church. The Hungarians built their church. And they're all, I mean, downtown, you can stand at the old cathedral and see nine different steeples of churches from there. That's amazing. It really is. Yeah, and then and the company, the Fry windows, uh, Emil Fry was the, I guess, the great-great-grandfather who, you know, who did this window. And his great-great-grandson sits nearby me when I play the organ at oh, the wow. every Sunday. He's just newly born this year. Yeah. His name is Emil Fry as well. And no I kidding. I showed him. You know, this album and stuff, his father said, oh, yes, we know that window very well, and they've been restoring <laughs> those windows still, and they do work all over the world. That's amazing. So now, a uh, quick question. I don't want to get too far into the weeds on stained glass, but still I'm kind of fascinated by it because the cover of this – and I, I will tell you, I've never – I have to go see this because I have never seen – a stained glass rendition of the nativity and uh, in person. So uh, I've got to go check that out. But, uh, and I love the idea that I love the organ crawl, like yeah, the pub crawl. I mean, that's a, that's a great <laughs> concept, you know, so you could do the window crawl right. at that point. Right. So, uh, but let me ask you though, uh, the, the, was there in, in St. Louis, was there at one time just one guy who did stained glass or was it like, for instance, uh, the, fry, fry? the fry was, was the top end uh, stained glass church stained glass creation? Um, the cathedral has a few windows. Our our windows in our upper gallery that were put in in the late eighties um, are fry windows. Now our our rose windows on either end of the cathedral those are Tiffany windows. Okay, so those were put in by Tiffany Company. But here in St. Louis, Emil Fry and Associates, the the company were really the Top tier stained glass window creators, yeah. And wow. In, and in med- medieval times, this was you know known as the Bible of the poor. You know, people couldn't read mm-hmm. for the most part, except if you were royalty or clergy. But these these windows told the story. Wow. And and and, and the color um, reflects back, you know, biblically, you know, to the rainbow. Remember, the yeah. colors in the rainbow are, are the the promise that God made after the flood, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that he wouldn't destroy the world. But these colors are almost just like the rainbow. And every window or series of windows has an order in which to read them. And if you don't know the order, you don't really get the, the, yeah. of the story. Yeah. But uh, hopefully at, these, at, at the churches, there's someone there who knows... This is what this panel says, which leads to this panel, which leads to this panel. Right. You know, and they can go sideways, back and forth, or up and down. You know, the window, the windows of uh, uh, Chartres in in France are, are an incredible yeah. uh, testament to that. You know, that people couldn't read at that time, like John said. So the windows told the story. Right. And some of the colors, just even in in this nativity uh, window, the the colors are colors that. You you don't see I've never like I've never seen an orange or a green or a red that looks like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Except except yeah. maybe in like a fresco, but it's right. but the, the the colors are so amazing. Saint, yeah, Saint Anthony's windows are really exquisite. Yeah, they really are. Well, that's that's great. So well, let's go ahead and uh, roll out with whatever you guys uh, want to, uh, and, and or what what would you prefer to 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 uh, to hear as we uh, say 
Good morning and good good morning this morning. Number 17, do you hear what I hear? Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Scott Kennebec and uh, John Paul Walsh, thank you so much and, and congratulations on yet another amazing piece thank and you. display. I mean, I, I love it and I, pr- I appreciate you bringing in uh, these and also teaching us a little bit about history too because it's amazing. Never knew a lot of what <laughs> you just told me. So uh, it's always educational. Yeah. And always beautiful. So thank you, guys. And if you go to scottkennebeck.com, you can pick up copies not only of Angels Bending Near the Earth, but also uh, the past uh, holiday presentations and some other ones, even including the, uh, uh, the songs of Eugene Field, words to music songs of Eugene Field. And by the way, the, the title of the CD, where does that come from? Well, our first Christmas CD was called Midnight Clear. Yeah. So as the song continues, it's it came upon a midnight clear. Oh, okay, right. And right. One, of the, one of the lines is from angels bending bending near the earth. Nice. So we have enough in the four verses of it came upon a midnight clear for future Christmas titles. Great, great. And I, uh, by the way, Chuck, have you, how do you like my how do you like the the Christmas display, buddy? Inside the house. I'm I'm the uh, I'm the Hoosier. I'm the neighborhood Hoosier. <laughs> You're and a legend. I just completed the final. And it took me three days, well, three nights, and not. I mean, I only spent, but but I took I fi- put my final touch last night, and it was like really literally around midnight. I finally got my uh, one-eyed snowman out there, my one-eyed plastic light of snowman, the last and first piece I've had, and the last one. So. Got it it all like, do, do, was done it like up. Christmas vacation when you turned it all on in the whole neighborhood. <laughs> Dude, I, let me tell you something. I will tell you that that uh, that I don't mean to brag, but I I know how to make things connect. I definitely do. I mean, I have every that is an art form. I have really I had it down to the point where I was missing one extension cord. I couldn't figure out where it went until Matt told me I brought it in. <laughs> It's right here. I was like, "Oh!" So I had to go buy an extension cord. But, but I, uh, I, I, I can. I, I, it's actually kind of more fun to try to figure out how to plug everything in because I have about thirty plastic lighted snowmen, you know, vintage ones, and I got to plug it. Every, every single one has a plug. Yeah. One of them's dark, but I can't figure that out. Well, it needs anyway. to be all done because Taylor gets back on fifteen. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, it's all ready. <laughs> it's 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 rocking now. It's on now. Uh, but you guys, it's always, it's never uh, Christmas without you guys, uh, and never the holiday without you guys popping in. Angels Bending Near the Earth, it is Scott Bennett, Kennebec, I keep calling you Bennett, I don't know what I'm doing, Emily uh, Truckenbrod, and John Powell Walsh, and this is also included in the St. Louis Archdiocesan Handbell Choir, and the director uh, is Burnell Hackman, so... Uh, this is beautiful, you guys. Thank you so much, and uh, appreciate you guys as always. And I could walk out and say hi to Chuck and everything else because you know what? Um, we are uh, we, Facebook can't pull us off for this, right? All right, if you guys can pop another one on so I could say say good night to these guys. And uh, <laughs> thanks for the hot chocolate, by the way. Look at you, old school man. Bringing me some hot chocolate. I, I wouldn't normally I get hot. Dro- I don't think you drank coffee or anything. I do, but I, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. It's one of those things I wouldn't necessarily get. Well, try it on your way. You know, Cheshire um, Starbucks. Yeah, right there. Hot chocolate is not something I actually would get on my own. I have to have it. Somebody actually get it for me. And so, thank you. I'll I'll drink it. No, we appreciate all you do. Okay, guys. Thanks so much. Merry Christmas, Scott Kennebec. Merry Christmas to you too, John Paul Walsh. Merry Christmas to you too. I'll be back in one second, guys.
Good morning this morning, everybody. Welcome back. This is the Discovery Design Studio. This is our Discovery Design Truck Care and Manufacturing Studio. And this, this, uh, this um, hot chocolate is pretty darn good. See, I, yeah, I normally wouldn't, I wouldn't um, normally get hot chocolate on my own. Hold on, let me just do this, plug that in. There you go. Uh, but when someone buys it for me, then that's, that, that's my excuse to drink it. I figure I have, I have full um, authority and full, full approval from the gods and God to drink this, uh, this hot chocolate. And it's delicious. All right. So let's review. That was fascinating. I love, I love talking about music, and it's funny to talk to when you talk to Scott and John about things. Um, you just continue to have more questions that come about, and they always have uh, great answers for you as well. But it's just kind of fascinating to kind of go through, you know, the making of this CD and the making of the music and the stories behind the music and the stories behind. Um, the development of the music. I never knew that about Mozart and how these guys would create music based on the acoustic elements that they were always surrounding themselves with. I didn't know that Eugene Fields' dad was Dred Scott's attorney. I didn't. I did. I did. I didn't know that there was a beautiful nativity scene stained glass in St. Louis, and I actually didn't know there were many of them in St. Louis. So uh, I didn't know there was a thing called a. Um, uh, 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 organ crawl, which is fantastic. So, uh, got to get into that. So we've got we got to get together a stained glass uh, crawl as well. Maybe going in that sense, and it's a great, always a great thing to have them in because uh, that's that's when that's when, in my opinion, uh, the Christmas holiday really begins. It's when I see Scott and John Powell and my buddy uh, Chuck uh, Glom come in and and we're doing a little bit of it. It's a, it's a nice little beautiful little misty, gorgeous kind of uh, step back from all the all the craziness because, um, you know, uh, it's a, you, you, I, I, could, I could scream and yell about these crazy people out there with the best of them uh, and, 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 and try to illuminate you with the, the best on top of the mountain information that you can get. But I love also stepping back a little bit and uh, – and uh, and just uh, just take it all in. Here's some music, and I've got and I have a CD player in my Jeep. I wish there was a way, and maybe you guys can help me out. I wish there was a way that you guys could I could get you one of these, a couple of these. I don't know how I can do it, but I'll figure something out. We'll we'll, we'll figure something out in the in the end, and and uh deal with it that way but man that was uh that was really nice and and I I can't wait to see that uh stained glass and and um and and get into that cuz that's uh that's some amazing uh, amazing stuff Roger. and then tomorrow we're actually going to have uh, more music for you because uh Daniel Burrow who is a Bono really um and he's with a uh he's with a he's with a tribute band called U2 Hype and he's going to come in and uh, he's going to be singing a couple songs with us and promoting their upcoming concert uh, which is U2 Hype and then the REM tribute band and I was introduced to Daniel and this band 
by listener Brandy Aaron, who uh, I really appreciate you turning me on to them. And Brandy's going to pop in too, I hope. And uh, we can have a little fun tomorrow with you too. So that's when you're going to hear you, you too. Because you guys are always going, play some you too. It's like, I'm not going to play you too before the you too guy gets in here. I might, but you know, anyway. Uh, we uh, right now are in the, uh, it's called you too hype. That's right. Um, and, uh, I have to tell you that as, as hard as the people have tried, uh, the news media and beyond to turn this thing into some kind of, uh, debacle, uh, and, and some kind of, uh, political deal. I do believe that the funeral of, uh, of HW is, uh, going to be one of, uh, America's finer, more solemn moments today. And it is, uh, uh, a day to appreciate the service of uh, all of our presidents and to appreciate the uh, the families of them and appreciate the good work uh, that HW uh, has has done for this country. Uh, I, I obviously we all have our issues with every president. We get it, uh, but today is a nice American moment. And, and so uh, looking forward to that, not looking for, I mean, I'm obviously going to have to troll uh, some of the, the, the media uh, people out there. Cause they're going to, uh, uh, you know, they're going to, they're going to find some way to, uh, to screw this up and mire this in the mud. And I'll be sure to, I'll be sure to cover it, but it's going to be one of those, uh, uh, the, as of, um, Six this morning, the uh, rotunda was closed to the public, and the uh, Bush family is uh, going to be arriving at just about 10 o'clock our time uh, for the ceremony, which is uh, starting um, right after, uh, right after they, a little bit after that. And I don't know whether you guys were able to see the, the, picture and 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 maybe you even saw the video of Bob Dole who's uh 95 years old uh and and who was a wartime compatriot of uh of HW's and also was a fellow US senator with HW and um uh he was lifted from his wheelchair to salute the coffin the casket the body of uh george hw bush and boy that was that was quite a moment there to 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 see that and so you know as much as we all get uh get nutty about politics and we can we fight about stuff and everything else uh to see a lot of these people coming together is um is really very impressive and uh and and it's it's uh it's Amazing to see, and I know some of these people. You know, <clears throat> just just knowing that there are a lot of these people there who uh, do not have the interests of the president of the country truly at heart. I'm, I'm, uh, and I, 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 I'm, I know we just talked about how everybody's coming together, but you know, John Brennan and those people who are showing up there. I just uh, they give me the they give me the creeps every time I see people like Brennan and James Clapper and all these deep state monkeys. They kind of drive me crazy. They scare me, to tell you the truth. But uh, the Bush family was exceedingly um, 
what, what was exceedingly gracious in in their uh, making sure that uh, this was not going to be a political thing, uh, and, and they actually, through a spokesperson, basically said that uh, that this is this is not going to happen. If you're if you're planning on making this into uh, into some Trump thing, uh, we we don't want you to. Uh, they saw what happened with McCain's funeral, and that was an embarrassment uh, to the nation, really. And so um, it was it was really just a, uh, a situation I think that the Bush family wanted to avoid was that debacle and that that demeaning of of the life of uh, of of John McCain by by his even his own daughter turning it into a a, a gross attack on 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 the president so um that was that was sad to see but i don't think they really wanted that and and yeah you guys um you guys were really impressed i noticed on the facebook page kimberly and lisa and brandy and the rest of you folks uh and stan who watched that live i did not see it live but who watched it live or maybe you watched the tape of it uh bob dole being lifted up to uh salute GW is pretty amazing. Um, Dole is an army veteran, um, and he actually was uh, in Italy in World War II and was hit by German machine gun fire uh, as an army guy in Italy, and that's that's how that's how he actually has the disabled right arm is because he was hit by by a uh, by German machine gun fire. And Bush was a, a Navy pilot and uh, was uh, – he, he Bush, uh, he had the Silver Star. I mean, he – H.W. was, was – these guys were men, man. They were, they were pretty, pretty, pretty well put together guys. And, you know, what's interesting is as much as we you – know, and I think it must have been, you know, because I always thought there was, there was a little bit of criticism I have for H.W. back in the day and, and kind of still, um, still, still do when I hear H.W. I heard interviews with him where he was um, – he was uh, kind of regretted that he wasn't more vivacious, more uh, personable – didn't speak up more. Uh, didn't didn't seem to do, was was kind of uh, speak softly, carry a big stick kind of guy. And then I noticed too that that was kind of the same thing with Bob Dole. Remember Dole when he was running for president in '96? He he was so boring, and he, and, and it was so like, golly, Bob Dole, come on, just step it up just a little bit. But then you then you'd see Bob Dole like on. The David Letterman show or something or the Tonight Show. And he had like the, the most amazing sense of humor and he was uh, very affable. And, you know, and it was really just like I was like, where is that Bob Dole? Uh, where, where is he that, that we see on the late night shows? Uh, why aren't we seeing that, you know, on the stump? And 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 it was the same kind of thing with G, uh, with H.W., Apparently, and H.W. had a fantastic sense of humor and was, you know, kind of really a loose guy. But in public, he was kind of, you know, 
really super buttoned up. Some some actually thought that was you know because he was boring or doing whatever. And I, and then now that I look at this situation, I see you know Bob Dole saluting the casket of uh, H.W. Uh, and both of them World War II veterans. And I realized, I bet you that that whole vibe, that whole thing, is really a is really a uh, is, is a is a kind of a World War II thing, the Greatest Generation thing. Um, and uh, and it must be part of that era that 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 the the guys who came out of that era are seemingly have a lot in common there and and that is that they are um very quiet uh, they they they're not necessarily outwardly swaggery uh but 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 they are strong and kind of behind the scenes they have a lot of personality I think but but they're very um I got trying to humble I guess you could say you know, I mean, let's let's put it this way: I, in in my politics and in what I'm seeing, I actually prefer the personality of President Trump. To tell you the truth, I I think that that's a necessary thing in this day and age to have that kind of swagger, that kind of moxie, that kind of toughness, that kind of no BS attitude. Uh, uh, but 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 I respect uh, the the general gentleness and genteelness of our World War II guys and our our, uh, our greatest generation because I think there's something they have very in common there and rarely ever talked about their their lives uh, in the military it's it's very hard to get people World War II veterans to, I mean, any of you who have a father who's been in World War II will will tell you uh, that they just don't talk a lot about what they went through or their service or anything like that. It's just not very, um, it's just not something they, they talk about very often. Uh, if, if at all, I I've known people who would, would be, uh, they'd see interviews or something like their father was, you know, interviewed for something, uh, World War II or whatever. And, and they, they'd hear things and go, well, I didn't even know that. He didn't even tell me that. And that's true. I think the closest I ever got to hearing much about, uh, my father's service in the Pacific in uh, World War II uh, in the Navy uh, was uh, – the closest I ever got to that was his uh, his disdain for Japanese cars. It's about, that's about all I kind of got out of him. I knew, I knew he didn't like the Japanese and that, that's, that's just uh, – and and it wasn't Japanese as a culture. It was Japanese, the Japanese military, and because the Japanese were uh, were savage, uh, mean individuals, and they and they uh, didn't leave a whole lot of survivors when they wound up close to them, and they were stabby and kamikaze, and it was really kind of uh, they were pretty brutal. The Japanese were. So when uh, when they got the bomb, they had everything coming to them, I'll tell you that. But nonetheless, and, and not just because they were savage, but because we had to stop. We had to put an end to this thing. That's all there was to it. I, back to the, the way people talk and World War II veterans talk. 
I'll never forget talking to some folks. I guess I was doing something um, for the honor flight, which is really a great thing the USO does uh, through honor flight. Honor flight's a separate entity, but uh, the USO aids in it, and that's a pretty amazing thing where they have it. It's a one-day trip to D.C. and to the war memorial there. But I talked to a couple people whose fathers were uh, in World War II, and they never really talked about it. But there were a couple times when they, the, these individuals knew that uh, something was affecting their dads. And a couple of examples, and they're both weather-related. So there was one person whose dad was in uh, – uh, was one of the individuals who stormed the beaches in Normandy in D-Day. And – they uh, and whenever it was rainy, like whenever it whenever it was like a cold fall rain, their uh, dads would, uh, or even a spring, whatever it happens to be, any, any kind of like rainy, wet, dampy, you know, kind of just just where everything's just kind of wet. Like I, I can't really describe it. I know D Day was in the summer, but what I'm saying is it was just, but it was cold. It was cold at uh, at that beach but uh the uh the uh he would stand at his uh, picture window and stare out the window and that's all he would do and he and he'd sit there and stare out the window and and uh his daughter who I was talking to at the time had said that he that was when that was when all that stuff would come back whenever it was weather Related, like when whenever there was weather that was similar to the weather they were in in a battle, that was always something that 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 brought them back. So, so for instance, that that rainy, dampy kind of that that continuous drizzle, that's what it was like to be on the beaches in Normandy at that that at that that uh, morning. Then uh, I had another person who I talked to, and and their father, whenever it was. Well, like, a, like, I don't know what it's like outside today, but like yesterday, there was that flurry that like kind of like, like, like that um, flurry-like snow. It wasn't really falling snow. It was this cold flurry snow. You know, you know what I'm talking about where, where it's like really you know, like it's cold as hell and it's just – it's dry and it's flurrying. Well, they would have a um, – her father, whenever it was that cold uh, and, 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 that, and that flurry snow, her father was in the Battle of the Bulge. And, and, that, and that's exactly the weather uh, during, that, during that battle. Battle of the Bulge was, um, was, was that snowy, uh, cold-ass day. It was the – it was, the, uh, it was in um, – Belgium, Luxembourg. It was. It was. It, that was really the, the. The. It was all that. That little Germany area there, and and it was uh, cold as hell, and and we won, but it was. Uh, it was uh, the Germans tried to uh, uh, pop in on the Western Front, and. Uh, through the Ardennes and through Northeast France, Luxembourg, uh, Belgium, and it was cold. 
There you go, Brandy. Blustery. Yeah, it was, but it was at, at flurry. Ugh, I can't, that's terrible. But anyway, that's when her father would start to uh, um, be pensive, and, and, and they knew that that was what was going on, is that that weather was like that. Ethan, who was in Iraq, as you all know, turned 20 over there, uh, and he, he, went, he was in, two, in 2010, uh, got his combat action badge over there and everything else. And, and uh, it, whenever it's hot, it's, when it's, when it's kind of hot and, and, and uh, you know, arid, you know, he, he, uh, he, he tends to – he says – he tells me this. Uh, that it kind of reminds him of the exact kind of way. I mean, these these uh, kinds of uh, these kinds of commitments, these kinds of situations, really do have a have an impact on you. And a lot of that impact is just that, that you can remember. You know, the the the, the weather is just kind of like you, you can't get around that. You know, I'm sure that there are Korean War veterans too who you know when it's it's friggin' cold like today. It's like Korea was miserable. It was just freezing there. And and they uh they remember that. So anyway. Oh I got in oh I got in there because Bob Dolan and uh and HW. So anyway, everything starts at uh, just after ten o'clock our time. And as you all know, and I don't mean to turn this into a negative, but um apparently CNN has already indicated it's going to really be closely watching the president's interactions with the former presidents, with uh, President Trump interacting with these guys. And, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. And I and I said earlier and I was trying to figure out who was going to have the first body language expert on to analyze President Trump. Who's going to have the first body language expert on? Anybody have any uh Ideas. Here's the thing. I actually think in my gut it's going to be CNN. But I uh, I wouldn't put it past none other than Fox News to have the body language expert on first. I know that sounds weird because you think, oh, Fox News wouldn't do that to President Trump. I go, the hell they wouldn't. So I'm I'm kind of like on the fence, if I were a betting person, yeah, Daniel, uh, and yeah, see you tomorrow, brother. You too hype. It's going to be a ton of fun when you when you come on in and and uh, and regale us. But but um, Daniel actually think it's going to be MSNBC. I actually think that MSNBC will be too busy doing. I, I think that I think that even MSNBC, as as sometimes insufferable as they are. MSNBC, which, by the way, is uh, actually right behind and sometimes even beating Fox News in the evening time. Something tells me that that would be too pat for them to, to kind of do that. And, and, and MSNBC actually seemingly has um, more shame than CNN does. CNN has has turned into just this. Uh, they, they they they've got an, it's an illness over there for them. I mean, they are really just over the top, crazy, negative, never Trumpers. I mean, I don't know. You you saw the you saw what happened in a day where um, this is on this is on the uh, um, 
this is still on MSNBC, but the I think the worst shows actually are like the shows like Morning Joe, um, where where they talked about you know the the, uh, the mob boss, uh, you know, and 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 and. Uh, Dan Goldman, who worked for the Southern District of New York as a U.S. attorney, said this about that comparison. Having prosecuted mob bosses, it's unfair to compare them to Trump. Mob bosses are far smarter and way more savvy and discreet than Trump. They don't tamper. Yeah, so that, that, that's, that's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of stuff you're getting at MSNBC, but in the morning. But I don't think, maybe Morning Joe would have an analyst uh, body language, but I believe it's going to be CNN. And I do, I do actually believe that uh, ultimately, um, the the dark horse in this, and 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 the and the uh, the big uh, winner will be. I, I if you if you bet on them, you'll probably make a lot of money. Would be Fox News because I wouldn't put it past them to have that on, and I'm not quite sure when it would be on, which show, but uh, I don't know. Maybe Dana Perino's show. <laughs> I don't. We'll see. But we'll have more coverage for you tomorrow on that whole thing. And hopefully I'll have, um, I think, what's tomorrow? Thursday? So I'll have uh, uh, Jimmy Hoft. I might even have the three gyms in. Yeah, maybe Tammy. It might be Shepard Smith. Yeah. Ding, ding. Oh. Yeah, Jim Carafano is going to be joining us, and I think Jim Hoft will, and maybe Jim Talent, but I think Jim's going to be on Friday. Usually, it'd be fun to have a G, three, three gyms in, but we got a lot going on tomorrow and Friday too. Good morning, this morning, and have a great rest of your day, everybody. Thank you to Golden Oak Lending three one four five six seven Gold. You are not going to have to pay. You are not going to have to pay two months of mortgage payments if you hook up with them for a refi. Two months. And you get a free appraisal when you mention my name when you get your when you get your mortgage checkup. Yes, everybody. Good morning this morning. 314567 Gold. Uh, gold. That gold is in their heels out there. Uh-huh. Don't forget about Matthew Mitchell and the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency. 855-QUOTE-ME. 855-QUOTE-ME. Low premiums, low deductibles, all at the same freaking time, people. Come on, now. And don't forget also about Michael Proctor. Proctor spelled like Dr. ProctorDrapery.com. That's right, y'all. Get your window treatments. That's what you need to do. Spruce up that ugly ass home. Spruce it up, and he'll do a great job for you. He's got a his competition are the luxury guys, but he beats them every time. Seven days a week, mobile design unit, and beautiful, beautiful, whatever you want in terms of your window treatments. Thank you, Nutrition HQ and HQ dot rocks dot rocks. It does weight loss, weight maintenance. Proteins, pre-workouts, you name it, you got it. With Nutrition HQ, Rock Hill, Manchester and McKnight. Also, 
Thank you to Rick and Tracy Ellis, tracyellis.com. Thank you to Santino Cigars and Cocktails, Vogel Road, beautiful Arnold. Thank you to Discovery Design, Truck Care and Manufacturing, ddtruckusa.com. And thank you to Eric Deputy, deputywellness.com. Got all kinds of great people back in me. Love you guys. And thanks a ton for everything you guys are doing as well. Have a great rest of your day.